2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
3: details. Are you looking to improve or increase your web presence? If so, check out bit.ly slash ring of W-E-E-B-L-Y. Weebly gives everyone the freedom to create a high-quality website that works brilliantly across any device. Weebly's powerful drag-and-drop website builder, customizable templates, and step-by-step guidance get users to the finish line faster. Help your audience join the 40 million people already using Weebly and get your website started today. Again, check out bit.ly slash Weebly for all your website publishing and development needs.
1: to another chapter of an honorable mention the essential ring of honor retrospective podcast covering the most successful independent wrestling promotion of this generation i am your host jeff schwartz and alongside is my co-host our expert analyst ring of honor alumni shane Hagedorn. shane how's it going today hola como estas I don't remember back to high school Spanish or to the two years I took it in college to replace math because I could not pass basic college math, but I'm just going to say uh, mucho bueno. Well, if it's any consolation, I'm 39 years old and I've been around it my entire life and I don't remember it either, aside from how to curse it's as if we uh you know, sat around when I was growing up and I would hear my great grandparents speak Yiddish and I didn't understand any of it, but I do know the swear words.
4: Exactly. Exactly. Um Um, I am fine. Moi Bien would be the uh Bien. E two
1: E two. Which I think is me too. But it it it's uh it's been an interesting uh interesting week here. Um going back. Um, We're going to dig into a show today that uh, I think stands the test of time uh, in a a lot of ways. It was almost as if it was the peak of Gabe Sapolsky's chapters in Ring of Honor, Um, and I feel personally that this show was the best live experience I had uh, in my time of going to shows. Uh, Dating back to 2004 or 2005, uh, when I started regularly attending shows. Uh, CZW and ROH going head-to-head, you know, fans on each side of the building, just like the 100th show. Um, And I believe more people were in attendance for this show, correct?
4: Uh, I believe so, yeah. And we did the double bleachers again on each side, um, we had to do something funky with the guardrails this time in order to make enough room for the Cage of Death for the main event. Um, but it was equal or more. It was definitely not less than the 100th show. But it was also probably the biggest attendance we ever had in the Armory.
1: Up until that point, yes. Uh, and it was a, an eventful show. Um, Let's let's fully dig into this. Uh, I think it's worthy of an honorable mention, Death Before Dishonor 4, July 15, 2006, once again from the Philadelphia National Guard Armory. Uh, one of Ring of Honor's biggest shows up until this point in terms of a storyline coming to a head. Um, I would say you know, it was as an intense live atmosphere as you will ever have seen at a Ring of Honor show, unless you were in a building where it was really small and everybody was on top of each other. Um, this, this show itself, in my eyes, really was a leapfrog for so many people on the undercard uh, as you're, you're headed into the latter stage of 2006.
4: I think what I found watching the show back was that so much of it was almost an old generation versus new generation sort of vibe to most of the undercard bouts. They were paired up with people of, I guess, similar bent from the newer generation, AJ and Davey, the Briscoes and the Irish Airborne, um, Delirious and Delay, were almost... Um, almost a very similar dynamic to what Delirious had going into the 100 show uh, in his match with Brian um, So it was, yeah, there was a very not past and present, I guess present and future vibe going in most of these, uh, most of these matches.
1: And I, I really agree with that. I think that when you look at some of the talent that was, was just on the undercard alone, you look at these names... Uh, and where they would be featured throughout the coming years. Jay Lethal was the longest-reigning Ring of Honor champion and is in the second match uh, on the show and looks nothing like he does now. Uh, Granted, it is 12 years later. He's become more of a complete performer. Um, You had Colt Cabana in that match. You had Roderick Strong in the third match on the show. He's now on 205 Live. Uh, fighting off for the for the pure title against the champion, Nigel McGinnis. Uh, you know, we can go through this whole... The whole card, I mean, the talent is everywhere. The Briscoes are in a meaningless tag match with Irish Airborne. Um, that I thought it was a solid match, but once we get into it a little further, we can kind of talk about why it wasn't the typical Briscoe Brothers match. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Davy Richards and AJ Styles, two guys that were featured both in Ring of Honor and uh, TNA. Uh, and AJ, of course, is off uh, as the WWE SmackDown champion right now. Uh, and then you look at the the, the world title match: Brian Danielson and Sanjay Dutt. Um, I think Brian Danielson and his legacy speaks for itself. Sanjay is now in charge of TNA, or one of the the Figureheads in charge of TNA uh, for at least for this week. Um, and then, then you, you go through to the guys in the main event Samoa Joe who's you know headed into a big run once he gets healthy at WWE. BJ Whitmer works in the Ring of Honor office now. Adam Pearce is an agent for WWE. Uh, Ace Steele is unfortunately retired. Uh, and then there were a couple other uh, members of the Team ROH. Uh, that we can get into a little later without spoiling anything going forward. Yeah, the CZW side you have Hero was, you know, working in XT. Claudio working in main roster, a tag team uh, champion. Tag team champion in the main roster, yeah. Necro Butcher who go on the in
4: a Hollywood film that was a, a nominated film. Uh, it was quite a, uh, an eclectic mix of people that have gone on to do uh, some pretty crazy things they have never expected from, never participated.
1: And, and that's the great thing about looking back on this time period with Ring of Honor. So many guys would go on to do so many incredible things that as we're now 12 years in, you know, in advance, uh, almost 12 years in advance of this show, Uh, It really shows that The independent wrestling circuit And whether you want to call Today's Ring of Honor an independent or not That's up for debate Um, It it breeds (laughs) It breeds WWE's roster Uh, The the dearth of talent on the WWE roster uh, They've at some point Spent a bulk of their time in Ring of Honor and I think that helps the WWE product. And I think that helps show that Ring of Honor is a credible place to, to go hone your craft. Don't you know humble your don't you don't want to not humble yourself enough to work here for an extended period of time. If no bigger option presents itself. So let's let's dig into the DVD portion of this show. Um, it's a a very uh, organized DVD structure. You have promos from everybody on Team ROH uh, spliced throughout the DVD. Um, and flashbacks to each of the key events that led up to Cage of Death headlining this show. So we open the show, uh, or the DVD portion of the show, with Adam Pierce And Adam is staring angrily into the camera... Uh, he mentions the H uh, shape scar on the side of his head that he earned at the 100th show. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was from an errant chair shot from Necro Butcher. Chair? Chair? A throne? I just remember it was it was it was errant. It was kind
4: of just I don't know. Necro had a habit of just throwing shit. And it was a brutal scar. <laughs> you know, Adam was quite quite hot about this.
1: And you can still see the scar on the side of his head today. Um, it's it's incredible, 12 years later, that that scar has not fully just healed over. And granted, Adam is bald, and this is on the side of his head, uh, so that probably doesn't help matters. But Adam talks about uh, the the scar. He he asks, when does this end? And he simply says one word. He says tonight. He says he doesn't fancy himself a deathmatch wrestler, and he calls out each member of his own team. He mentions that tonight the H in the side of his head stands for honor, ring of honor. And after that, the camera kind of pans away, and we go to the first of our flashbacks. Uh, The very first flashback we see is from Hell Freezes Over, which was an event in January of 2006, also in Philadelphia, Uh, It was when Brian Danielson, the Ring of Honor champion, defeated Chris Hero uh, for the world title. And the show was so named because Gabe said in an interview
4: for somebody that he was asked when Hero would be in the Ring of Honor. And his response was when hell freezes over.
1: Which is is an odd statement.
4: But things change when you realize you can do business. Exactly.
1: Money talks, bullshit walks and i don't know why gabe was always opposed to using chris hero uh any insight into that i think it was a look thing more than anything um
5: which yeah i don't really understand but you can't see that i'm shaking my too, head I think it almost Skype. became like being asked so many times
4: eventually it was just like fuck it i'm never gonna use him because everyone keeps asking me to use it. It was almost spiteful.
1: And that was almost kind of the the thread, I think, behind... From the fan perspective, from the ROH message board group of fans, uh, they had these threads that, you know, almost every day it was, when will ROH use Chris Hero? When will ROH, you know, bring in Super Dragon? Would ROH be able to use the Necro Butcher? Uh, I mean, so many other names down the line that eventually would make their way in, Kevin Steen, El Generico, um, Ruckus, uh, Jigsaw, Clackenbush. I mean, all these names were in these threads, and it was every single day the same repeated threads over and over and over, and it got to the point where a message board user, uh, Anthony Ammo, I believe was his name, uh, just started a daily bring-in thread.
0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions.
1: 18+. They're released from WWE uh, or from the independents and that was the thread that you stuck to. Because fans got annoyed that that was constantly brought up. You could only see when will ROH use Chris Hero so many times
4: on a message board. Was Anthony Ammo a real person or was it just game? Uh,
1: no, I I am pretty sure he's a real person.
4: Um Okay.
1: He's still active, I think, on the Zandig fans' message board. Uh, he's a film critic, I think.
4: Um, never know. You, know. you never know what the message if they're real people or just... Uh, well,
1: well, we'll get into one of the great message board conspiracy theories that I have uh, when the Jimmy Rave segment pops up, because this was about the time uh, that the... the Man from Ghana started posting on the Ring of Honor message board. Uh, but we'll talk about him a little later. We, we see the freezes over clip, and uh, that takes us into our very first match on the show. And uh, originally, this match was supposed to be Shingo uh, versus Delirious, uh, according to my research. Uh, but Cool Seth DeLay from NWA Wildside was, was replaced. Uh, Shingo was injured, uh, at an FIP show, uh, either the the week before or a couple of weeks before, um, Seth DeLay, I, I always remember watching in NWA Wildside and thinking, okay, there's something there, um, decent look, very, you know, thin body, but, you know, if he added some size, he does cool moves,
4: um... He had a pretty face, like an easily marketable, like mm-hmm. sellable face, nice to look at.
1: Reminded me a bit of Matt Seidel uh, early on. Yeah. Uh, in terms of both style and look, uh, his presentation was good. He comes out to no reaction. Nobody in Philly knew who he was. I don't think he had ever yeah. ever worked up in the East Coast. But Delirious comes out to a very nice reaction. Um, the light years, the... the uh, Almost about polar opposite from the one hundredth show when it was kind of like yay delirious, as opposed to just you know three months later it's a complete one eighty on the crowd reaction because of that match with Brian. And and that was the big thing that the the summer was a lot of Midwest shows, uh, you know delirious is is a St Louis based guy at this point, uh, and he was on these shows. And getting over, getting a nice reaction everywhere he went. Uh, I I felt like this match itself was a showcase for Delirious. uh, And and it helped build him further up um, throughout the the, uh, continued months. He had another title shot coming down the line. um, And the following year, I believe, he won the Survival of the Fittest Tournament in 2007 so Delirious was in for a big push here uh, one note uh, before we get into the match itself uh, Jared David who is Mr. Saint Laurent of MLW fame uh, okay, is, re- is replacing Lenny Leonard uh, with Dave Prazak on the announcing duties um, I thought he did a, a pretty solid job yeah, so did
4: I. I. just could not remember the life to me uh, who the hell he was.
1: And, and the great Lenny Leonard, of course, had a, a very serious uh, softball-related injury. Uh, took out both of his knees and was unable to perform here. Uh, so uh, Jared David fills in, and uh, this match, you know, as, like I said, it was essentially a squash for Delirious, and... Um, Delirious gets all of his his key moves in. He gets the Shadows Over Hell uh, in, which is a really cool looking move, um, and was some it was a different take on just a simple splash off the top.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and especially like the, the one thing I really took out of this match that he's also using kind of like that newfound star power boost he got from Brian to kind of give a bit of that rub to Seth because Seth got in a lot of. I felt like Seth got in a lot of stuff considering what the match was, and he had really cool moves that I'm kind of surprised no one has ever stolen. Um, there was you know, the, the the vertical leap straight into a sunset flip that yeah. I I popped for. I did as well. Um, there was what else? There was that like, he did something else. Oh no, I cannot. Or in the corner that I you know that I popped for as well into that. Um, I don't know what they call an edge. Does it? I think video games call it like the edgeomatic, mm-hmm. where they like, catch it by the chin and pull down. Like, kind of a reverse Exactly. Look that, like, that looked very creative moves that I'm
1: really surprised that I've never seen anyone else steal. And, yeah, that's the thing with with Seth Delay. I feel like uh, he had something going for him, and he just never really got much of an opportunity outside of you know the the southern territory, Georgia and Florida, to kind of expand yeah. and. Maybe just people haven't seen these moves to take. Um, mm-hmm. I I was always a big set delay fan. We'd get NWA Wildside late at night here on a Friday night, Saturday morning, at two three a.m. and you know I'd have my VHS tape every week set to record. Uh, so I have I have a good bulk of NWA Wildside. And, you look at some of the guys that came through here. We mentioned it on the 100th show, that four-way. Every single guy in that four-way came through NWA Wildside. And we're going to get the debut of somebody from NWA Wildside on this show uh, in a later match. But this was a really good good showcase for Delirious. Uh, Delirious, you know, hits the shadows over hell. Uh, before that, he got the 20 clotheslines in the corner spot, which got a huge reaction. Um... It was kind of a takeoff on the chop special that uh, Kobashi and and Kensuke did um, the previous summer in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, And then he finishes with the Cobra Stretch, which got a big reaction. Uh, They went less than five minutes, and it was a solid match. I don't think anybody complained that that was the opener. No, no, no. And as a... As a DVD product what I really the other thing I appreciated about this match was the commentary in the matches.
4: also in a table for the rest of the show they establish the teams for the main event the question marks of who's gonna be the fifth member for Ring of Honor who's gonna be the fifth member for czW they throw away they feed in the um, the homicide stuff where his homicide standing this whole thing he walked out of the show in, in Chicago they how J.K. Dillon going to be involved in this because of his experience with these types of matches and it, it, it really kind of put over everything that's going to be happening and try to get it all in without
1: getting away from the match in front of him. Yeah, and that, that's that's a great uh, lead broadcasting job by Dave Prezak where he's able to kind of fill in the gaps that Jared David may not know and still keep the match uh, as the main focus. Um, this was this a great opener and a great way to start what is a really fun show. Um, this- the other thing that always blows my
4: mind when, when these matches is Homeboy's a smoker? And he has that kind of amazing cardio. <laughs> Like he go go go, go go, go, go. And he's a smoker. I'm like it always just blows my mind watching him do this.
1: Even to this day. Yeah, um, and, and it's kind of funny because I go back. I was at a show recently that Ring of Honor ran uh, later in last in, in the uh, 2017 calendar year, and Minoru Suzuki walked by me, and that's a guy I've always admired as far as his style, and the the fact that that man smelled like a Marlboro factory. <laughs> And still scared me to death was one of the, the highlights of the show for me. It was the night before my birthday in October, and we're, we're at the, the show. It was in Columbus, Ohio. And I'd never seen Minaru in person before, and he just came out. And that presence... Um, I see that Delirious you know, tried to do that a little bit with his presence. Uh, maybe not necessarily in terms of his character, but that, like, when he's running around the ring, he wants the fans to feel him. The, the chanting, the, the banging on the, the guardrails, he wants the fans to feel what he's feeling in the ring as the character of Delirious, and that's kind of how Minoru felt for me, uh, without it really even doing anything, uh, other than just walking mm-hmm. by and staring at every fan. Um, so that, that puts a bow on on the, the opening Delirious and, and Seth Delay match uh, Delirious is headed into a big rest of the summer and fall period we go to a B.J. Whitmer promo and B.J. talks about uh, still feeling everything from the feud, he's taken some of the biggest bumps of the whole feud uh, he mentions that he gets more pissed off by by every single thing that he sees uh, and he's ready for Cage of Death and then he's going to finish off the Necro Butcher permanently in their barbed wire match which is scheduled for Dayton uh, a month later. It was a solid promo for BJ. It's never like never the best promo guy it. it was a solid like a
4: solid kind of a you know, pointing out the specific things that have happened to him during the course of this feud and appreciating the keys like oh yeah don't forget this is coming up next after this we're still up, this is coming and there's there's a few moments like that throughout the entire D-D in, in promos or there's always little reminders of this of okay there's this show but you know coming up in August coming up in October coming up in June, later in July uh, plugging teasing and building up towards the next thing while still focusing on this event. And that's... Which that didn't exist on the, the 100th show, I remember like, thinking that, that there's nothing on the 100th show that it all informs you of what's going to come up next. It's very self-contained, the 100th show was. Whereas this,
1: you said it's, it's, it's also looking forward to the future. And that that was a a really great thing because we're looking to the future in a lot of the stuff on this show, but we're also flashing back to the past because the next thing we see after BJ's solid promo is a flashback to Tag Wars 2006, which was in January. Uh, And we see Jim Cornette lose a tooth while trying to kick Chris Hero and Necro Butcher out of the building. Uh... Jim Cornette was raving mad in, in the flashback. Um, I was not at that show, uh, which is is not typical for me in Dayton. Um, that was a, a a standard venture for me, uh, but it, it was a great segment. And uh, the next night was in Cleveland, and there was also some Chris Hero and Necro Butcher stuff. Uh, but uh, you know, a short flashback to January. This has been building for seven months now, officially.
4: Um, our in, second- terms of, in terms of content, these little teases were... Uh, of, uh, they felt, they were more like DVD plugs to me. Like, if you want to see what really happened, try the DVD. Because it wasn't, the, the, the snippets weren't mostly anything of significance there's you no know, context in terms of commentary to what's happening in them it was more just like a DVD plug that's how I took a lot of them
1: that's one way I could see that perspective now that you mention it because I didn't really think about that but it's kind of a smart business ploy when at that point the model was DVD 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 mm-hmm. um, so so good on whoever put that together uh, that's that's an outside the box idea I didn't really think about we go we go next to an interesting tag team match. Um, we start out with uh, Prince Nana standing in the middle of the ring. Uh, he doesn't even get an entrance, unfortunately, and uh, he's announcing uh, a new member of the embassy. And uh, this-
0: okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire,
0: huh? Ah. Oh.
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: This was a big deal for a while because this is replacing Alex Shelley, uh, who I believe left he had an injury and then I think he went back to TNA
4: it was part of all the TNA stuff from earlier in the year yeah
1: um so he's on his way out uh you know and the Jimmy Rave Alex Shelley tag team was was awesome I was a huge fan of I, it. I was a big fan they played off each other well uh even Spanky when Spanky was in the embassy that trio working together um was was magic Uh, So this this was a big hype and uh, there was a lot of speculation um, as to who it could be. Uh, WWE had released a few people over the course of the summer. The people had speculated uh, as to who the the new member of the embassy would be. Who was going to be Jimmy Rave's new tag team partner or new uh, backup. Uh, And Daisy Hayes comes out uh, Prince Nana talks, you know, for a little while, but Daisy Hayes comes out, and
4: there's this man. One thing, real, real, quick, before you get that, we've been talking about Daisy coming out. Something I appreciated in this Nana promo is that he calls Daisy his bodyguard, mm-hmm. not a valet, an escort, a manager, any of that stuff. He calls her his bodyguard, which I really appreciated that that's how Emily was referred to. And the other part, in classic Nana fashion, he calls it the state of Philadelphia.
1: Yes, and I was going to make note of that, <laughs> uh, that he calls it the state of Philadelphia. And the audible disgust from the fans at that point, and, and there were many chants on this very show that were as absurd as the line of the state of Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a great introduction for daisy to come out and then really the wheels fell off in my opinion um to have to have the new member of the embassy covered in this like tablecloth that you would see at your grandmother's house um you know I, it just didn't feel right and it, it i remember being at the show and thinking to myself oh this is going to be a disappointment who's going to be uh, and we see that as as they're trying to figure out how to get this person into the ring while still keeping them covered, uh, there's nice. a, kind of a communication going on between Daisy Hayes and Nana as to what to do, and they just rip the blanket off, and it's revealed to be NWA Wildside and FIP's Sal Renaro and he is going to be the new official footstool for Jimmy Rave. I, I I will say this about Sal Renaro. Sal Renaro is one of the nicest human beings on the face of the earth. Definitely. I always enjoyed his wrestling uh in NWA Wildside especially. I was a big fan of his. Uh he was he had a great charisma to him. This was not the right spot for him. He had the goofy-looking gear with the the blue, like, petals coming off of his tights. It just didn't fit, in my opinion. Um. Uh, <laughs> the first thing I thought of was, watching it back,
4: was the commentary on it. Mm-hmm. They sell it like it's the most degrading, disgusting thing that could possibly happen to a man. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, he's done this with women before, blah, blah, blah. But this is to a man. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, On yeah, this show and
1: especially. That's, I, okay. I mean, there, amongst other things, you, know, you look at, at some of the, the chants that, that don't age well. Some of Jim Cornette's rhetoric that we'll get into later does not age well. Um, it It's very weird. Um, well, to Sal's credit, he's sold it wonderfully. Oh, yeah, like a he's champ. He's got that look on his
4: face like he's the happiest dude in the world, and despite the fact that throughout the match he's treated like absolute garbage by Jimmy, he's still happy to be there and support Jimmy and be part of the embassy. He's it, it, the, the character dynamic
1: part of it, they, they pull off really well, especially at the very end of the match in their little post-match celebration. And that the, the comparison I made when I was watching the match back, and I don't remember thinking this at the time, but in the movie Coming to America, you have the prince, Eddie Murphy, and you have his, you know, assistant, Arsenio Hall. And I kind of felt like, Jimmy Rave was was Eddie Murphy and Sal Renaro was Arsenio Hall. And it never really got played up to the point where it did in the movie where Arsenio Hall imitated uh, being the prince at one point. But this was a a great comparison that they could have done something with. And Jimmy Rave, you know, the crown jewel of the embassy, uh... He's the centerpiece of this, and, and this fully establishes that Jimmy Rave is no longer a tag team wrestler. He's the guy that is going to take the embassy to the top, and there will be shrimp cocktail for everybody. And that, that was the whole point
4: of having somebody who wasn't a, a, a name per se, that wasn't a former WWE guy, was to put the focus
1: squarely on Jimmy, and everything else was a supporting act. And I, I think that's kind of the the mistake that fans made going into this because you had Alex Shelley as an equal. Abyss was around at some point during this period uh, as part of the embassy. Spanky... Yeah, during Tag
4: Wars, just earlier in the year, yeah.
1: You know, you had Spanky. So we were, all the fans had kind of gotten hoodwinked into this idea that it was going to be somebody that was Jimmy Rave's equal. And it turns out Sal Renaro... While being a great wrestler and playing his role to a T, he was so good at being the the Joker of the Embassy. Um, you know, th- there were points in this match, and, and and that's not even getting to the second you know team in this match. But that dynamic that Jimmy and Sal had from the immediate beginning of the reveal was perfect for what Jimmy Rave was going to go on to become throughout the rest of 2006. Uh, Their opponents for this tag team encounter are Colt Cabana, uh, a very happy Colt Cabana, which is in contrast to where we last saw him at uh, the 100th show, Fresh Off the Homicide Feud, and what looks to be about a 20-year-old Jay Lethal
4: uh, as his tag team partner. And an oddly babyface Jay Lethal, considering that he had left Ring of Honor as a heel. Correct. That got all mixed up in the TNA. You must sign a contract stuff that Roddy and Aries and everyone else got tied into at the beginning of the year, and he's back as a babyface. He's happy,
1: Just, happy-go-lucky Jay Lethal. Yep. He's got. Got his hair poofed out, which I thought was a great look uh, for, for Jay because he's a baby face and he's just living the dream. He's having fun. He, li- he li- I think Colt Cabana's like happiness, charisma that he always presented with his character was kind of rubbing off on Jay Lethal here and giving him a little bit of personality. Um, yeah, I've always been a fan of Jay's in-ring work. I think there are very few that are on that level. But until he turned heel in 2014 or 2013, possibly, I never really connected with him as a fan when I would watch his matches. They were always very solid from a technical standpoint. You never saw him blow a spot that I can remember off the top of my head. You never saw him have what would be considered a terrible match But his personality just never translated until he turned heel and Truth Martini was his manager uh, for a while. And then he's back to being a babyface now in present-day Ring of Honor. But here, he's this young, happy-go-lucky babyface, you know, thrilled the team with Colt Cabana. And uh, they have a a really fun uh, exchange before the match even begins. Uh, with the the toilet paper shower uh, and there's leftover toilet paper in the ring uh, that the embassy didn't throw back into the crowd. That was an obscene amount of toilet paper. I'm glad I was not Rhett or Mitch Franklin having to clean that up. Yeah, it was a mess. And uh, Cole Cabana takes a a piece of, a, a, a roll of toilet paper and he chucks it and it hits Daisy Hayes directly in the face. And I had to pause the DVD at this point because I was laughing so hard at her reaction to being hit in the face with this toilet paper. The accuracy. And I think at one point when I resumed playing it, Jay Lethal was even surprised at her reaction and was trying not to laugh. Uh, it, It was a classic...
4: I'm just
1: laughing thinking about it. it. It was it was one of those classic <laughs> moments that gets passed by because it was such a minute thing. Yeah. And Daisy was totally professional doing this. You know, she got hit in the face with something. She knew what it was, thankfully, and and sold it like a champ. Uh, I thought that was a great moment before we even get into the wrestling side of this match. You know, a lot of the Jimmy Rave uh, character was based on just him coming to the ring. People hated him.
4: And I mean he was yeah, I think he I think he was the the consummate heel. There was nothing about Jimmy Rave that was cheerable. No from his facials to his entrance to like, he did not do the flashy, cool moves that people tend to pop for. He was as heel as you could possibly get in Ring of Honor.
1: And that was, that was the essence of the Jimmy Rave character. Uh, I, I remember dating back to when they wrote him off initially, before they brought him back as the crown jewel. People were thrilled that he was gone. Yeah, I remember. Um, and I always thought Jimmy Rave was a, a very talented in-ring performer, but... They were thrilled he was gone, and then all of a sudden he comes back, and he's got the purple jacket, and Nana reveals him as the new crown jewel of the embassy after the embassy was a joke for the first few months, and it was like, you know, he, you sprinkle a little dust on him, and my goodness, uh, we were off to the races, and this match was off to the races very fast. This was not a slow-paced match.
4: No, no. I think know. everything on this show, for the most part, went kind of, I felt, went fast. Whether
1: it be because of the match structure or because the show's so goddamn long.
4: Um, it was a long show. But it was very, very fast-paced stuff in this, in this match.
1: You know, you, you, you get a lot of really cool moves, too. Uh, I thought Jimmy Rave and Jay Lethal's exchange was really fun. Uh, at one point, Rave hits uh, Jay Lethal with a clothesline to the back, and Jay Lethal looks like he's shot out of a cannon. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really made Jimmy Rave, who's not a big guy, he's not a muscle guy, uh, it made him look like a killer, a vicious heel killer. And I thought that was great. Um, Another one of the, the notes that I wrote down was... Jimmy Rave actually looked at the camera and looked at the crowd a lot, which was not something many people did. Um, You know, There was a Jimmy Swallows chant that was occurring for a while, and he, he would look at the crowd with this look of disgust on his face, and then the camera would catch him, and he would look at the camera with the same look. The fans in the crowd felt the same way about Jimmy Rave as the fans at home.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Does a lot for the dynamic of the match. Uh, Sal Rinaro uh, does a couple of his his signature spots. Um, you know, Cabana runs wild. He does the double noggin knocker. Uh, he hits a beautiful moon salt. I wrote that down. I wrote beauty.
4: I just wrote beauty. Gibraltar Beauty. Because that thing was gorgeous.
1: Yeah. And that's something I haven't seen him do in a while. But I remember going back, you know, into the older days. I It was just such a spectacular looking move for a guy of Colt's size. I think he's a little over six feet and, and probably about 230, 235. Um, he's just. it. it and the amount of space that he uses to do that move makes it look even more impressive mm-hmm. um, and then that the 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 flying asshole spot that came yes. really
4: shortly after that too it was just like hot 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 the crowd is giving hot, hot 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 he hits the flying asshole rolls out of the ring slides back into the ring boom and it's just the crowd is just like up 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 up
1: and then boom cut them off heels go up Yep, and the, the the heel takeovers in this match I thought were really great uh, when the babyfaces were getting beat up. Jay Lethal sells his ass off this whole match, mm-hmm. everything he takes. I mean, I don't know whether there was something that was delivered to him that that he was told, hey, <laughs> oversell everything. But he did, and it worked, and it really made me enjoy this tag match. This was probably my favorite tag match on the show. Uh, and this match
4: to, existed for no reason. No. It,
1: it was, there was the Jimmy Rave showcase. Um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've talked to people in the last couple of days about the Jimmy Rave and Sal Renaro combination, and some people prefer it to Jimmy Rave and Alex Shelley. They like that Jimmy Rave found yet another way to reinvent his heel character and, and now he can beat up on Sal Renaro which he did in this match
4: mm-hmm. um, and there's one spot where he just slaps him across the face and I was like man that's all they needed to establish the dynamic of their relationship yeah, the it, footstool and then that slap
1: And it creates levels right. with the characters and yep. you know that, and a that's hi- a, a
4: hierarchy within the hierarchy. embassy
1: perfect like,
4: Daisy Hayes is treated like a footstool. She's a bodyguard. Sal, you're a footstool. I can slap you around all I want, treat you like garbage.
1: You're eating the abuse. And that's that's the perfect way to get it. And, uh, you know, this this was the Jimmy Rave Showcase match. Uh, mm-hmm. Oddly enough, um, Cabana, who is on his way to a small push toward the, the middle of the summer, um... Uh, toward the end of the summer in in August um, with two title shots back-to-back nights uh, in the Midwest. Uh, He wrestles Nigel for the pure title and uh, Brian for the ROH world title uh, later in the the summer. Uh, Jimmy Rave pins him at the end of the match. Uh, He gets a super kick and that's it. It's over. Um, Gets Cabana for the three and we're on to what I would say is is a, the Jimmy Rave push, but in essence, we kind of waited for that. Um, we get a, a small uh, flashback here again. Um, fourth anniversary show, just basically, you know, Samoa Joe is, is dealing with Chris Hero and the problems that he caused. Uh, on that night you know a night the company should be celebrating Chris Hero is trying to ruin it Uh, then we see arguably the most important moment of the Milestone series uh, at Arena Warfare where the gang of CZW wrestlers and and the litany of of weird people to see on a Ring of Honor show in that mess Uh, Nick Gage was in there uh, Lobo. Lobo was in there. Uh, and Wife Beater, I, I believe, was in there as well. Um, well, that was the day that it was a double shot. Yes. We used um, we used the Ring of Honor ring, which annoyed the shit out of me because then and meant I had to stay there all day until the CCW show was over. Um, but it was our the Arena Warfare and then Best of the Best uh, was after that. And the Best of the Best was... See our ring of honor versus CZW uh, thing. Um,
4: so, all of those CZW guys that don't show up anywhere else in this entire rivalry were in the house, like the traditional CZW guys you tend to think of as the founding fathers of sorts. So, the Zandings, Lobos, Wife Beaters, Justice Payne, like any of those guys, the Weed Whacker, like that's the stuff you see because we're in their house having this show. And, so, and that, then you never see them again. The rest of this rivalry, you no. see Super Dragon from PWG, and yeah, and, Nate Webb, who I tend to think more of as a Midwest guy, not a CCW guy. The
1: the the moment in Arena Warfare we're referring to is when BJ Whitmer was staple with dollar bills, uh, with a staple gun. And if, as far as I can recall, that was the first time a staple gun was used in Ring of Honor. I don't recall anything that. before that. Um,
4: yeah, and no, I don't either.
1: But the ROH producers cut off the feed during this crucial moment, so that you have to buy the DVD uh, to see the full the full story. Um, yeah. And we head in And after that that was the night that led to us fighting fans in the parking lot and that was chaos. I can only imagine uh, and that was the night Bryce Remsburg and and,
4: and you had Yeah, yep, that was the, the night that they had the Bryce Remsburg, yep.
1: So so those those you know, the fourth anniversary show was a big deal. I mean, four anniversaries for a wrestling promotion is a big deal in itself. Um and Chris Hero tried to ruin that. Uh, Samoa Joe, you know, knocked him around. Um, and then, you know, the CZW beat down a B.J. Whitmer. Inside the CZW building, in the ECW arena, Viking Hall, whatever you want to call it, the 3300 arena, I think is what it's called now, uh, it was in their house. And CZW, as they did, this entire feud was was out in front with a lead. And this was the night I think that 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 moment also elevated it from just a rivalry to a blood feud. Yes. This that that incident with BJ is what elevated it to the next level. So it's yeah the the pivotal moment, um, the pivotal moment in the in the this whole six month seven month story. And it really did a great job to elevate BJ, you know, to the next level, and he got a pretty significant push. Moving forward uh, after this show, just being associated with the main event and the rub off from that, um, we go into our third match of the night, which is a pure title match with Nigel McGuinness and Roderick Strong. Uh, there is a, a uh, absolutely no reference to uh, Roderick Strong tapping out Nigel McGuinness in a tag team match. Where Nigel was teaming with Colt Cabana, and Roderick was uh, defending the titles with Austin Aries, they don't go over that as to why this match is even happening.
4: They do, but later. Yes. I actually caught it because I had the same thought as you. I was like, "Why is Roddy getting a pure title shot?" I don't even remember why. And so I was like, listening to the going back to the commentary, Praise Act finally like three, four, five minutes into the match, finally like, "Oh yeah, by the way."
1: It was, it was very weird how you know they didn't even really reference that at all. We don't get a flashback or anything. Um, but this, this match was great. Um, I thought this was way watching it back years later on DVD, this was way better than I remember it in person.
4: What did you think of the pure title
1: concept? So, so the pure title concept, uh, I liked it a lot because I thought it added elements to uh, just a standard singles title match. Um, you know, every promotion's got the world title or whatever their heavyweight title is called, and then they've got a secondary belt. Well, ROH didn't have that for so long, and we finally get this secondary title, and it's a secondary title with a twist. I thought it was not a bad concept. I thought early on the execution of the concept was terrible.
4: Agreed. But it, it took it took until Nigel when Ni- the championship to find his footing.
1: Nigel defeating Samoa Joe in Buffalo, uh, which is a famous night for Samoa Joe for other reasons. <laughs> and Gabe. And Gabe, um, and I guess we can kind of tell that story. Uh, there was <laughs> more a,
4: fighting fans.
1: The more fighting fans. Yeah, there was a fan that. Uh, caused a little bit of trouble and uh, Samoa Joe went after him and actually got his hands, if I remember correctly, on the fan. Outside, it was at a hockey rink. Uh, yep. Joe got his hands on the fan. Um, I think the statute of limitations is up. He got one oh, good yep. stiff shot in. Because uh, I was fairly close when that happened. Um, and Joe, Joe drilled the guy. And Gabe, I'll, I'll let you take over the Gabe part because I I don't know whether I walked away or I just don't remember what Gabe did
4: when all this was I going just on. remember Gabe getting a shot in as well and then just screaming at this dude. Like, I just screaming like incoherent, high-pitched, you know, Gabe's loud screaming voice. <laughs> um, Evacuate! Just yelling at the guy. Yeah. And I, just I was like that Gabe got in
1: there, too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a free shot at a guy that was causing all sorts of problems. Uh-huh. And the guy was loud and obnoxious the entire night. Um, I don't remember if it was somebody that was a regular attendee of Ring of Honor shows uh, at the time. I don't believe it was. Um, I'm pretty sure alcohol was involved because that hockey rink served alcohol.
4: Uh, they served and beer. I, the dude... If I remember correctly, too, the guy hit Roddy during a match. Uh, I think I feel like that's
1: where they have started the entire thing, of, that, that the dude struck Roddy during the match. And the, the one thing about Samoa Joe that we have to kind of establish here is that he very much was the soul of the locker room. Most Completely. One once thousand like, percent. The Undertaker was the soul of the WWE locker room for so many years. Joe was the leader. And Uh I can tell you a couple of stories. Um, It was probably when you were tearing down the ring. Uh, This happened. When Homicide won the belt later in the year, in 2006, at Final Battle, uh, we all went out afterwards to celebrate. And it was a very eclectic group of people. Myself, Uh, a bunch of the other uh, regular fans. uh, Samoa Joe, uh, obviously Homicide was there. Christopher Daniels was there. Adam Pearce was there. Uh, No longer an active member of the ROH roster. Low Key was there. Uh, Punk. And CM Punk with his girlfriend at the time, uh, Maria Kanellis, came out with us. And Homicide and Low-Key got into it with the manager of the restaurant. Uh, Something was said by the manager of the restaurant. And all of a sudden, from behind, I didn't see where they came from, but three very large security guards came in and removed Homicide and Low-Key. Samoa Joe, in protest, left. Because they would not let Homicide and Loki back in. This was Homicide's victory celebration, and and he got himself thrown out of his own victory party. Because the, we we literally had the room set up so Homicide sat at the head of the table in the in a,
0: a basement room. 18 plus.
1: this bar in 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 Manhattan um I'm not gonna plug was this a Greg thing this was a Greg a Greg age party we literally had it set up to where Homicide was sitting at the center the the head of the table which is where Greg usually sat and Homicide was there um and Loki was to his right Samojo was on the other side Punk and Maria were down at the other end of the table um next to Pierce and myself, and uh, I think Daniels may have been on the other side of Punk and Maria, and it was one of the most bizarre things I have ever seen, because Greg, who is one of the most wonderful people, I don't ever really see him ever get angry, but uh, as we totally take this story off the tracks, he was angry that Homicide couldn't celebrate his own victory amongst all of these people that had come from far and away uh, to celebrate with him. And he had the belt with him, too. So he had to leave with his belt that he was wearing around his neck, uh, and low-key is not a guy you really want to mess with, even though he's kind of a smaller-sized guy. And these security guards were just manhandling him. And out they went, never to be seen again. Um, the next morning I saw Punk and Maria at the airport and I had a very nice conversation with both of them, uh, which is, for people that have had public interactions with CM Punk, not always the most pleasant. Um, Maria is an absolute sweetheart of a, a, a lady, um... Agreed. I wish her nothing but the best in in motherhood coming up shortly. Um, But to say it was a surreal, like, 10-hour period uh, for me personally, um, it was was unbelievable. Uh, Running into them, they were on my flight back. We were going uh, Newark to Chicago, uh, and then I was going Chicago to Cleveland. Southwest Airlines don't ask. It's it's the only airline on planet Earth that sends you to Atlanta to go to New Jersey. Yes. So, well, let's, let's get back to this pure title match. Uh, Nigel McGuinness took the pure title and he really ran with it. It made a true star out of him. I really I really believe that. Um, he he used every single one of these rules to his advantage, and to his opponent's disadvantage.
4: In this point, it's just so many, 20 minutes, even five minutes, you're trying to tell some a story. All of those rules actually just give you more tools to tell a story. And he used that to the fullest, and especially in this match. I thought they did a brilliant job of using the rope break rules, and the the count-out became such a Big thing, like he got over a count out, like yeah. it illegitimate legitimate.
1: The most threat. hated, the most hated finish in wrestling, got a huge reaction twice in this match.
4: Both and It was the first. It was the first time we ever had count outs in Ring of Honor mm-hmm. before they became uh, an actual rule in two thousand
1: eight. You know, you had the the false finish count out, and then the finish finish count out, and I. I remember live thinking the match was not very good and that they didn't click. Something was off. And then I watched this a couple of times this week, and I thought, this was awesome.
4: Just The the opposite is I thought, I don't remember what I thought then, because a lot of times I wasn't able to watch the match as it happened. I was running around with other shit, and I would watch it. You know, when we got the DVDs or watching in the office as tapes were being dubbed off and stuff. But I always remember watching these two and thinking, damn, they have chemistry. Like, their world title match they had later down the line, I don't know, Nigel was champ, just, these two just always clicked together. Um, yeah, but that's because
1: Nigel's top shelf talent and Roddy's top shelf talent. Yeah, I think <laughs> these are two guys that if Mount Rushmore had more than four heads you'd be looking at for ROH to put on there yeah and the the whole twist on Nigel having previously done all these pure title matches where he forces his opponent to use rope breaks and um you know pushes the issue with uh you know the count outs and and the DQ finishes and and he literally, you know, did everything he could to cheat his way to win all these different matches. And Roddy got him to use all three of his rope breaks very fast in this match. Um, it really, it really took what was a silly uh, kind of organic uh, concept and and made it to where the fans were like, oh my God, he's gonna lose the belt tonight. To the tag team champion, and Roddy's going to be the first double champ in Ring of Honor history. You know, the first.
4: And then, guy that or, was one of the many like several things I wrote down. Is that, they're, that they keep they keep pushing that, and they push that. I remember when um when Joe was the pure champion, and he had world title matches. It was like, and, and who's going to be the first ever double champion? Who's going to be the first two time champion? And now I think Adam Cole was like a three or four time champion before yeah. he left, and. I don't think there was ever a double champion until lethal that I'm aware that I can think of off the top of my
1: head. That is correct. Uh, Jay lethal held the television title and the world title at the same time and did an incredible job presenting himself as the greatest first generation professional wrestler, uh, which was part of his tagline and his intro. I thought that was genius. Um, this, this match had so many different moments to it that I thought, my God. Number one, Nigel's lariats are far more brutal looking back on them than I remember. Um, and I've torn a bicep before. It's not pleasant. Um, and much like Nigel, I let the scar tissue heal around it. Um which was not the most intelligent thing I did, and probably Nigel regrets doing that as well, but uh, the the hammerlock DDT that Nigel does uh, in this match I thought was awesome because he sold the hammerlock and then hit the DDT. It wasn't just Mm -hmm. one combination move where he's like, oh, I'm going to put him in a hammerlock and then do a DDT. He sold the hammerlock, uh, to the point where you thought, okay, maybe Roddy was going to try and go for rope break, then he hits the DDT. Uh, the, the whole, you know, the, the stronghold playing into this match uh, with Roddy forcing him to use three rope breaks on the same move. Nigel... one of I, I
4: love the last of those rope breaks. Roddy purposely set it up directly next to the ropes. Yes. Not in the center of the ring and Nigel had to fight. He set it up right next to the ropes so Nigel was had no choice but to grab the ropes. It's right there and realize oh that was my last rope break. And
1: now you're now Nigel's fighting from underneath. This was also the first match that I can recall Roddy getting over that flying boot, the sick kick. The
4: sick um, kick. Ugh.
1: I mean we can laugh about the leg slap and, and I'll I'll tell a quick Quick Roderick story uh, with a leg slap involved. For whatever reason, he had uh, he was wrestling Brent Albright, and both guys had on the short trunks at this point, and they they were kicking and chopping the hell out of each other. I think it, it might have been the opener on a show. I don't remember where it was, and they were chopping and kicking and beating the crap out of each other. And at one point, I looked to my right and I said to a friend of mine I go that's kind of odd they both have handprints on their calves and sure enough I went back and I I, I looked a couple of months later when the DVD came out and it was the first time for me where I thought okay now we're getting to the point where this is ridiculous with the leg slaps and this was probably 2000 Seven or two
4: thousand eight. Um, we're getting. times I always waited for guys to bust themselves open on the leg, mm-hmm. and commentary would have to explain why somebody's bleeding from their thigh. Yeah, <laughs> because they leg slapped themselves so hard. I mean, over and, and over and over again.
1: And Cole was probably the worst as far as like outboard because you're gonna bust yourself open. Yeah. He would always have massive handprints on his upper thigh. And the, the Bucks have it right. They wear the long trunks and make it work.
4: Yeah. Um, but this get a little was, bit of the noise off the, the your gear, too, that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's just, uh, it was such a crazy, these guys just beat the crap out of each other. I have it written in my notes that this was the hardest-hitting match Nigel McGuinness had, had had up until this point.
4: Yeah, I called him Agro Nigel in my in my notes because yeah, he was just once he took over. Oh, he was uh, vicious. Like the, I always loved. Both. I don't. It's not really. I never really had a name. Yeah, you know, they're in the the tree. Wall lifts him up, kick to the back, kind of the final cut in yep. the corner. He did when he did it to Rod. He was just like, oh my god, that was vicious looking. And every clothesline, everything he did in this match once he took over. Was with brutal intent. It just looked vicious.
1: There was there was a, a phrase that I had heard a basketball coach use a couple of years ago uh, regarding like the way players moved on the floor, and you 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 moved with purpose and poise. Mm-hmm. And I thought of that phrase during this match watching Nigel. Everything he did was done with purpose. And poise. He didn't do anything that wasn't necessary. And his moves, the from the Tower of London spot to that spot in the corner with the final cut and the, the knee to the back. Um, even when he tried the uh, t- to stand up on his head in the corner, and Roddy just boots him right in the face. And you you're, you jump back in your chair because you're like, oh my God, he killed him. Uh, you know, And and this was a, a different style match for Nigel, too, because there's a lot of stuff involved where he's brawling on the floor and and using some of the elements that are out there, the guardrail and things of that nature. And, you know, he throws, leading into the finish, he throws Roddy into the crowd. And I thought, ooh, this is great. Because I didn't remember what the finish was when I went back to watch this the first time. How did I? So I go, oh, he throws him to the crowd. He's going to try it for a out and i was like oh this this is going to end you know within like 12 or 13 minutes and i'm like the crowd is is stunned that this is going to end on a count out and they're reacting to it so roddy gets back in big pop they go to war they battle it out again that's when all the the moves start flying fast and furious roddy gets the final rope break on nigel roddy's got to use a rope break of his own and they brawl out to the floor again and at this point, uh, Nigel is is keeping Roddy out there. Uh, the, Roddy Roddy is uh, is is hit with a DDT uh, toward the floor and ramp area uh, in the aisleway, and he barely. Nigel gets you know sprints back to the ring as fast as I've ever seen him move, and and that's at 19, and Roddy's left out on the floor and. The fans are furious at this finish, but it makes total sense. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Nigel's up against his toughest opponent in the pure title chase, or you know, in their chase for the pure title and his defense of the pure title. Um, I, I love this match. It it aged really well. There was. You know, thinking the health of, of Nigel McGinnis I, I kind of got a little sketchy at some point but uh, I thought this was just such a fantastic wrestling match uh, from highs to lows drama everywhere um, just bravo to both.
2: with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time.
0: (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18
1: plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Guys, and, and I would say this was probably my favorite match off the top of my head, that Nigel won during his pure title run. Off the top of my head, yeah, it's certainly my favorite match of the entire night. Yes, I, I no question really about that. Um, and it also, I watch this. I feel like I'm also watching
4: Roddy develop because I feel like it was in this because so Aries was hurt at this point, point yes. in from Dragon Gate tour. That's why part of the reason why they're not defending the tag titles. Which was something else I found interesting because you also, you have Dragon Gate connection at the same time as you have the Noah connection, which was always kind of from an outside perspective looking in, it's very interesting that is working with two such vastly different uh, Japanese wrestling companies. Um, Yes. So, Roddy's on his own for this and you're watching him as a singles guy develop when he's been doing a lot of eggs up and you're really starting to see him almost be like a combination wrestler, something that not a lot of people were doing at that point. Joe was, Joe had been, but it was always like things in combinations of threes and fours, like I whip to the corner, forearm, back elbow, from off the ropes, big backbreaker, like, but it was bam, 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 succession, bam, 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 succession of moves, bam, 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 bam. and like this explosive bursts that I don't feel like you were seeing out of a lot of people at the
1: time, and now has become almost a more... Regular thing where you're seeing people do these, these sequences of like three, four moves at a time. The ROH style. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, I guess what it evolved into with the whatever that ROH style has evolved into now. More more of this. Yes. Um, which yes. Is, is not a bad thing. Um, and more super kicks, that's all.
4: Yes, always more super kicks. Also, the the crowd, the fans, particularly the CZW fans in this match, were also kind of fun because during the less violent parts of this, the less aggressive strikings, more wrestling part of it, CZW fans just start chanting, this is awful, mm-hmm. boring, like they're just riding them as well for the type of match this is, but by the end of the match... There's nobody who's shanning, this is awful, this is boring. Everyone is invested in this fight in front of them.
1: It it was to the point where the CZW fans, I think, kind of started to respect what they were seeing. Um, Not that they didn't, in their heads, say, okay, this is going to be a good match, but in terms of the CZW fans and the character that they needed to portray in this match and during this this feud. Because the, the the fan bases were a character unto itself in this feud. Going to wars with each other on message boards and arguing at shows and everybody had their own everybody chose a team to root for. It was very much oriented to okay, maybe maybe Ring of Honor does have something, you know, there. And I feel like if there was a deathmatch style Match on this show, uh, maybe the the season, the ROH fans would say, oh, we appreciate that too. It's wrestling, but this was a great match. Uh, Nigel continues his defense of the Pure Title, and uh, he's headed into a collision with Colt Cabana down the road, and uh, Brian Danielson, title versus title. Uh, we we next go to a uh, a flashback to SuperCard of Honor and Better Than Our Best, uh, which was a back-to-back doubleheader show. We see Adam Pierce's attempt to fend off uh, the Combat Zone Wrestling Group um, by himself with no help. Um, unfortunately, Claudio uh, grabs a baseball bat and misses, and he bumps out to the floor, hurting his knee. And Pierce is beaten up further. Um... This Wonderful
4: was, groundwork yes, for this what was, happened at the 100th show.
1: A great piece of, of groundwork that was laid. Uh, kind of a red herring of sorts as yes. to whose side Claudio was on. And I, I, I really enjoyed uh, both moments uh, that they show from both of these nights, uh, looking back on it. Uh, it. It really did give, you know, as they're showing these clips... Yes, they're saying by the DVD, but at the same time, they're also showing little pieces of the puzzle, and you're slowly starting to see the full picture develop. Um, next out, we get, you know, Jim Cornette um, coming to the ring. He is the Ring of Honor Commissioner, after all. And, uh,
4: uh Jim. Uh, and you, you can see me rolling my eyes, and I can hear you rolling I, uh... It immediately, it's like, okay, why are we taking shots at the WWF as soon as I start talking for it, some reason? It, it and, just... And, and crapping on, crapping on. it can do his fan base, so to talk down the new ECW product, yeah, you're going to get the pops from the crowd, but you might as well just chant, go Eagles. Yeah. You know, start start a Philly chant, because it's just... That has nothing to do with this at all. And it drove me nuts that both of his two promos and, and these two shows are just... At some point, he's got a shit talk WWE.
1: And it, that's the staple of Jim Cornette. It's like he can't get out of a time warp. And we're 12 years later, he's still stuck in that time warp. Yeah. It's, it's baffling to me. The fans from CZW chant, You suck dick at him. So Jim, of course, retorts by thanking the fans for coming to see him here. Um, he looks forward to, s- to Team ROH turning their fans into hamburger, which I like hamburgers. Let's see what's so bad about that.
4: <laughs> Sorry, all I could hear in my head right there was the double cheese. <laughs>
1: double <man. laughs> I didn't think about that, but yes, yeah, yeah. J- Jim Cornette and his Wendy's order uh, once again making an appearance on podcast. Um, motherfucker. I can't make my voice go that high. Um, but there's a lot of ECW um, chance at this point um, because ECW was just uh, brought back from the dead by the WWE which is where the, the burial of Take your pills, Shane. <laughs> um, they, they, uh, they they do the burial of, of, of the new ECW, and uh, once that's done, um, Cornette finally gets down to business. He announces that Kenta, uh, Hideo Itami uh, of NXT and 205 Live fame, will be returning to Ring of Honor. Uh, it, when the next time they're in Philadelphia in November uh, which is a very interesting show to say the least
4: that's what I definitely to, want, want to talk about uh,
1: he also announces that Brian Danielson will defend the Ring of Honor title uh, September 16th uh, which is Glory by Honor 5 weekend um, against Kenta if he is still the champion and this is a very good once he gets down to business, a very good way to deliver some important news toward the future of the year. And and even alluding to Kenta versus Brian, a dream match for everybody in attendance, got a big pop. But the he mentions that uh, J.J. Dillon will be uh, in the corner uh, as the coach for the Ring of Honor team. I thought that was rather ridiculous. Uh, the Heels yeah. lost every... Single solitary war games match ever, despite winning the coin toss. Um, and he said that uh, JJ will, uh, you know, be be in Team ROH's corner to provide his experience. Uh, he's hopeful that Homicide will be the fifth member of the, of the team. He is the CGW Killer after all, and uh, he he hopes that. Uh, you know, Homicide will agree, but Homicide wanted three wishes. And he felt like that was too much. One, he could see. But three was too much. And at this point, uh, Brian Danielson comes out to the ring.
4: Mixed reaction? Yes. Uh, very mixed reaction. Consider, I mean, he was very heelish on the 100th show, but it's Brian. Like, I was very surprised that he's. Was, had such a mixed reaction from the fans.
1: Well, I, I will tell you why I reacted the way I did. I, I was more shocked that he walked out at this point. And it wasn't so much that I was upset, but I was like, okay, maybe they aren't going to do Homicide as the, the partner and he's on Team CZW, and they're going to just do a swerve, which they, they ended up doing a completely different swerve. But I was I was more stunned that they put Brian in the role as the fifth man, not thinking ahead of what what Samoa Joe's role would be in the match. Um, so we we get Brian out. Brian says he's the real CZW killer. Uh, nobody from CZW has ever beat him. Um, there's a ton of overrated chance. From the CZW fans, which I thought was great, Um, and overrated. Shut the fuck up. Overrated.
4: Shut the fuck up. That was the dynamic of this entire night. It was just—it was non-stop, back and forth, back and forth. It was just take take the the crowd heat of the 100th show and amplify it. And you And, and you might begin to understand, grasp how just how hot. Like this crowd was just ready and waiting and just on fire for everything. Even the stuff that I don't know if anything sucked, but even the stuff
1: on the show that was just like, man, the crowd was hot for. Yeah, and and it it really showed that you know how divided the building was because this this show I was on the ROH side of the bleachers, whereas the hundredth show I sat on the CZW side just for the experience.
4: But and you wanted a troll?
1: Yes, I did. Uh, but the the only comparables that I can make fairly to sitting on the ROH side during this show uh, I was at game 6 of the NBA finals in 2016 uh, Cavs and Warriors, the Cavs needed to win to survive to get to game 7 um, and the Cavs destroyed the Warriors at home Steph Curry was thrown out of the game uh, for throwing his mouthpiece uh, which actually hit the owner the one of the owners of the Cavs it hit his son uh, courtside and that is a, is a, a comparable environment to how one sided the ROH bleachers were um that night and the Joe Kobashi crowd was similar um in terms of intensity Uh The Joe Kobashi crowd was different In a way because the building was so small That I don't know if a bigger Building would have made it as loud But the intensity Of how In tune with one singular Story the fans were That night Where in the the Cavs Warriors game The storyline was Cavs lose, we lose the, the championship It's over Cavs win, we still are alive In this case ROH wins, we've defeated the evil CZW empire. There to be no more. Despite the fact that every single person on Team CZW would be back in ROH at some point. Uh, Some in short order. But Brian volunteers uh, to be on ROH. He doesn't even want anything. He just wants the spot. Uh, It's a total babyface. And and the fans are, are thrilled at this point, thinking, okay, he doesn't want any favors. He's he's here to, to work with the team. And Jim Cornette loves the idea. They follow the code of honor and we have our fifth member of Team ROH. It's the American Dragon Brian Danielson, Ring of Honor, uh, world champion. Entered
4: the ring to a mixed reaction, left a total baby face, and got in a great line about nobody on the Ring of Honor team wears t-shirts in the ring.
1: Yes, which is a, a great line. Um.
4: It, was, it was something that just played back in my head because, like, honestly, that was that was a topic of conversation when we were students, of having real gear, nobody's wearing t-shirts in the ring.
1: Well, can, can you... like that. Can you confirm while we're talking about the T-shirts and the ring story, can you confirm for everybody the CM Punk story it's with, with Kevin Steen? So, it's true. So for those unaware, um, I've known that this story was true because I've, I've asked before and everybody has confirmed it and told the similar version of it. Um, I'll let you tell the full story, but... Let's just say t-shirts on wrestlers not something the ROH top brass was really thrilled about.
4: See, there's a double standard in this too now, when you think about it. Yes. Um, That's so why So it was great. a Boston show. I can't remember the exact name of the event off the top of my head. Punk was still there. Um, and we're before the show and Kevin... Steen was on the show Uh, I don't remember the specific match him and Generica had not been put together by Gabe yet to team this was before that and from out of nowhere we just hear a voice very familiar voice over the speaker say Kevin Steen this is the voice of God and you will not wear a t-shirt in the ring Or something along those lines and it was very obviously it was punk saying this and it did not sit well at all um what happened from there i'm not privy to because i was busy with my ring crew duties uh but the double standard part of that irony is the fact that i sang it my trainer wrestled in basketball shorts not actual gear on the side who is a ring of honor staple and one of the figureheads of the company wrestled in t-shirts and jumpsuits and yeah, jail, gym shorts, jail, shorts and <laughs> jump short, yeah gym shorts jail suits the Brisco- briscoes wrestled in Jim shorts for the longest time, <laughs> so... Uh, one it, of those things, it was just like... <laughs> to
1: call it rookie hazing, I guess, would be unfair, because Kevin Steen was certainly not a rookie. But, but he was a rookie to Ring a, of Honor. He was new to Ring of Honor, and Punk was the standard bearer at that point for the yeah. company. And I, I remember hearing that story probably... I won't. I won't say who told me the story because I don't want to get anybody into trouble. But you and I both know this person, and I. I probably laughed to the point where I cried because I thought it was so funny. And if if anybody at that time when I heard this story, if anybody should be should should have been afraid to take off their t-shirt, it should have been me because I was fat and out of shape. <sighs> Um, but I laughed so hard and so long that I I cried because I was laughing so hard. And it it is one of the stories that I will tell friends of mine when we watch Kevin Owens on SmackDown now. And my friends are like, "Oh, didn't you used to see him back in the day?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I I, I you know see him and spend some time with him, and he's a really good guy, but." There is this great story best. about him. And, uh, I mean, the fact that the guy is, is now on top of WWE drives Jim Cornette crazy. Uh, and, God, I hope so. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think we all are on Team Kevin Steen at this point. And, and the character that he portrays is the complete opposite of the way he is in real life. Um, I, I just... There's nothing negative I can say about Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, and, and in terms of, of the story with with the T-shirt, um, it's a, it's funny, I, it's it's a fun way to haze somebody without really like violently hurting them or permanently destroying them. Yes. And uh, so uh, we we get. Get done with this segment, and uh, Jim Cornette rides off into the sunset on his his golden horse, uh, off to the Wendy's and we we head back to a flashback from the hundredth show, and we we see uh, Super Dragon putting BJ Whitmer through the table with a psycho driver, and the still part, cringe, and and before we get into the second part of what they they highlighted. That Psycho Driver uh, and BJ's Exploder in Cleveland that he did to Super Dragon. um, I I don't know if I've ever seen two guys do two moves to each other that have made me feel very uncomfortable with what I'm seeing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, every time I saw the Psycho Driver, it was cringe, like, ugh. The... the (laughs) The psycho driver is—it—it it looks unsafe, but I think it can be done in a safe manner.
4: Well, when you have a big fat butt to cushion yes. people, <laughs> I like, i mean, that's kind of what it was. Is when Danny kind of cushioning the fall by his own body. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, just, it's kind of a bit similar fashion to Kevin in the package pile driver. Yeah. I, the first time I ever saw that, I shit my pants. Like, I'm never fucking taking that. And then, uh, Davey Andrews wrestled a four way in him, and he was like, that was, like, the easiest thing in the world because it's all Kevin cushioning. Yeah. You know. So God, at, damn it look?
1: It looked like he killed him. Mm-hmm. And I think there were probably people that, you know, didn't have the benefit of kind of knowing how it worked that thought the same thing. That oh, yeah. that were just like, oh my god, he's dead. And it was kind of my reaction until I saw a couple of, you know, saw him moving around and, you know, I was like, alright, he's okay. But, good god, that was awesome. Uh, and then we see two of the most pivotal moments from the CZW ROH war. We see Claudio turn on Team ROH. Um, and join, rejoin up with the Kings of Wrestling uh, tag team partner Chris Hero and they go celebrate in the CZW bleachers and we also see a a quick clip of the H-Gash in the side of of Adam's head uh, which has been a central theme throughout this whole feud is, is the permanent markings that have been left in each other's territory um so once we, we segue out of that, we get into what I thought was the weakest match of the card. Uh, and without a doubt. It, it it was nothing to do with Jay and Mark Briscoe. Um <laughs> it's Jay and Mark Briscoe H-R-5. against Irish Airborne. Um, Irish Airborne is Jake and Dave Christ. Uh, this match actually helped me finally remember which Christ was which. Um so I, I wrestled the guys
4: in their first couple matches they ever had for Ring of Honor, and I didn't know half the time. It's, remember, it's funny. I know we started referring to it as "Which one is Randy Orton?"
1: Yes, and there is an RKO our, chant several times during this match. Uh, uh, at at whichever Chris brother, and now I can't remember um, which. I think it's Dave. Christ is the one that looks like Randy Orton. Um, yes pretty sure. But uh, several RKO chants throughout this whole thing. Um, The match followed a very formulaic pattern. It was the Briscoes, you know, do a bunch of vicious looking stuff. The Chris brothers do springboard moves. They have a couple hot flashy moments. And then the Briscoes (laughs) take back over and they beat the crap out of the Chris brothers. And then... The, the, the baby faces, you know, will make a fiery comeback and do another crazy springboard move that looks really cool but is unnecessary. And you you couldn't get farther away from the match that the Briscoes had at the 100 show than this. No, uh, this this was kind of a downgrade for them. You know, the Briscoes had just come back at the fourth anniversary show and they just. You know, were, we're hitting their stride. They had a, a great match with Aries and uh, Aries and Strong, or um, AJ and, and Matt Sydal. AJ and Sydal, and and they were headed into a collision with uh, Aries and Strong for the tag titles uh, in August. Um, it, it just, it this, didn't really have any any anything to it. It was just a substance match where it just kind of sat there.
4: The, the the Briscoes in this, I thought, were so unselfish. Like, mm-hmm. there's no reason at all why they could have or should have given the Airborne as much as they did. Um, were multi-time, multi-time tag champs. They they're they're part of the found, essential foundation of Ring of Honor, and they did their best to make the Airborne look like they had a chance in this match. Um, and it just they were always part of its experience. Like, the Briscoes are young but they've been wrestling for like eight yeah, years at this point they're literally the, the definition
1: of grizzled young vets at this point yeah the and airborne were young both in
4: age and in experience i mean uh, they put a couple of years in at this point two three years i believe um not much more experienced than i was at this point and they really only had like two or three matches in ring of honor at this point either uh dark match a couple tag matches that we I had against them me and Conrad Kennedy and uh, CK please. but Gabe just wanted to give him a shot and I know at the time it was even something that didn't sit well with a lot of or with many of us of the the, the graduates of the ROH school um kind of being bluntly honest about all of this was we were always told like don't do stuff. Like we were limited, that's how we always looked at it, being limited on what we were allowed to do on shows, especially on pre-show matches, but outside talent could just do whatever the fuck they wanted. Do whatever cool shit you can do, get your shit in, show what you can do. And we were consistently told, not just by like gay, but also by, you know, some of the boys in the locker room, like, eh, you did too much doing too much for a duck match and all of us are sitting there like what the fuck all these people are sitting there doing all their flashiest moves and we just gotta put it over and make it look good like it doesn't help us benefit us in, in, in any way I mean and that has nothing to do with the fact that we have, none of us belong on a ring of our show but in terms of how we felt our experience level but if we're gonna be on them why can't we just show what we're capable of doing you know even if it is just moves and so I think some I didn't know there was some of interesting I there was some. like seriously what the f*** wire thing wire being a match with the Briscoes is like some of guys from the school who had just as much experience
3: High Spots is the leading provider of professional wrestling and mixed martial arts merchandise check out bit.ly slash and from wrestling boots to wrestling DVDs wrestling action figures to title belts they have the largest selection of wrestling merchandise including Stone Cold Steve Austin autographs New Japan Pro Wrestling Pro Wrestling Gorilla and so much more. So check out bit.ly slash highspots for all your pro wrestling and MMA needs.
1: And that was kind of the other thing that I noticed in this match. I mean, this match went 15 minutes.
4: It was insanely long. There was was no reason for it to be this. As
1: I said earlier, it was like rinse and repeat. You know, it's the same circle of, of moves. Maybe not specifically the same moves, but the same circle of events. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, you know, I, I don't think we need to give this match a ton of attention because it really served no purpose other than the Briscoes to go over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this was their and fourth or fifth the phrase, it gave at a time to remind everybody that the Briscoes have Generation Next on their plate and still, but a, it's a, 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 somewhat of a rival. Yeah, and it, it just, you know, we, we see the cutthroat driver for the first time uh, in in a tag team match in a while. Mark didn't hit it uh, back at the hundredth show. Um,
4: Always loved that move.
1: It's a great looking move, um, and that's the finish for this match. Uh, a lot of offense not a lot of selling um, not not a lot not a lot to stick here um, the Briscoes continue their their role toward the belts um, and we have we have uh, another promo where we go to ace steel the best promo on the entire show so so here's amazing absurd. Ace Steel is kind of a a lost guy in this feud, almost. Because he only worked the Midwest for the vast majority of this feud. And he was in the ring during the start of the feud, when Hero and Necro were heckling him as he was wrestling Sterling James Keenan, uh, who is now Corey Graves. And he's, he's kind of a wild, like, he's not really a mat guy, he's not a flyer, he's somewhere in between, uh, older guy, uh, trained cabana and punk, um, but he was always somebody that you could rely on to have a solid outing. A solid hand. Yeah, he was a great hand. Um, and he was awesome. Uh, This And the crazy Ace Steel character I thought could have gotten a lot more Opportunities To do something with him finally On his own away from Cabana Away from Punk Away from anybody Uh, But this was kind of really the last Big thing for him Um, So he does this promo He's got this weird like southern Accent all of a sudden Uh, He's got a a, A cowbell
4: There was something and I, I, that made people when they got into these sort of moods dip into a I flat out called out Pierce on one of those shooting a promo for something I don't remember exactly what around HD that time and I was shooting a promo for him for a, a show for somewhere else and we and get that I'm like why are you talking like that's just well, the list of like why do you have a southern accent when you got promos that are like this?
1: And Ace like was the same way. It's like this type of match made me talk like out am from the South. Yeah. It was bizarre. Um he also confuses <laughs> the month of April with the month of August.
4: Uh, and so, it's years. Yeah, he That's the best part,
1: he said in August of last year. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he's all over the place. He's being crazy. Ace Steel, whether it was uh, saying that he he's going to roll up uh, CZW into a hardcore burrito. Um, he, ha- he says somebody will die, and that's his American dream. Uh, it was just a bizarre promo, but I think it worked. Um,
4: the dialogue, the other part that I loved about the promo is that the the, the, the verbiage in the promo is as if he wasn't shooting the like The ver, he talks like he's sending in his promo and he's announcing he's going to get that for dishonor. Like uh, uh, this promo's on the DVD, being shot in the building. Like it felt like whether this was intentional, on this went or Jimmy whoever was filming. Just, oh, fuck it, um, I got that. And I was like, somebody should have reshot this promo. <laughs> <laughs> it really should have been reached for content but on the other hand if it's crazy the nonsense works from that
1: perspective yeah and, and Ace is a really good guy uh, no pun intended uh, I, I really enjoyed his work and I wish there was more of him into the future but you know you got spots for all sorts of people coming in full time in short order uh, after Ace is done uh, we flash back to Weekend of Champions in, at the end of April, not August, but April, uh, where uh, B.J. Whitmer uh, got his receipt uh, on Super Dragon and, uh, you know, hits the, the crazy-looking exploder, and he was thrown out of the front door of the Gray's Armory, a building that shockingly is still standing in downtown Cleveland. Uh, I drive Networks by it to be seen in Ring of Honor again. Yeah, I drive by it, and Super Dragon was gone from Ring of Honor. Um, I wanted to bring up uh, whether or not there there was something that happened
4: that led to his exit. Or I was I was racking my brain watching this, trying to remember, and I just can't put my finger on it. Um, hopefully, I can get an answer to that question and maybe follow up with it next time. I can you know, send out some texts and get some information but off the top of my head I don't remember because at this point I hadn't quite transitioned into being a little more behind the scenes so I wasn't really privy to all that stuff just yet that was probably still like a year or two down the line um,
1: but I, fe- I, fe- I had the feeling that there was something more to it and I seem to remember reports of something he refused to lose to somebody and uh, that was kind of what led to it but I don't know what the official logic was now I, I, I'll see if I can I'm gonna see if I can find out I I, uh, I, I thought it was a, a good uh, you know live in Cleveland to see that kind of violence and then to see Dragon carried out and thro- literally thrown out the front door um, was was a great moment in the feud and um, that's that Weekend of Champions Cleveland show uh, Features some really, really good matches Nigel and El Generico uh, You had uh, The Whitmer and Super Dragon Brawl Jack Evans and, and Low Key um, A wild show um, We go to match number 5 And it's Davy Richards and AJ Styles And you told me, when we were talking earlier this week, to remind you to tell a story about Davey and Gabe from the 100th show. Uh, So originally,
4: Davey was supposed to debut at the 100th show in April. He got hurt in FIP, I believe it was. And his debut got pushed back to the Destiny show in Connecticut, which was also where Homicide wrestled Brian for the belt. And I won the top the Crest Trophy. Yay. And my recollection is Dave batted around the idea of not only debuting Davey at that show, but having him beat
1: Brian for the title that night. Oh, boy. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Cornette would have loved it.
4: That's why I didn't want to tell you the story off air because I wanted to hear your reaction.
1: Cold. Uh, my 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 only reaction is oh. I, I So uh, Davy Richards, don't get me wrong. I like Davy. Uh, I never had a problem with him. I think he's a great wrestler. Um, and, And AJ Styles is... There's nobody better in America right now than AJ. But, you know, the idea of establishing Davey in this match the way they did would have made putting the belt on him back in June completely silly back in April or in April uh, even more silly um I don't know how serious Dave was about it if it would have gone through if DV wouldn't have gotten hurt but it would have been a complete landscape changer of where 2006 went it would have been if like dropping happened. a nuclear bomb on the ROH roster and the next yeah. like two years of storylines would have been different um I I don't even know how to react to that idea. It's kind of just blown my mind. Uh, so I'll 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 dive right into this match. Uh, this match was not great. No. It no, was no it words. was okay. There was nothing wrong with it. Um, we both noted that uh, AJ is completely blown up fairly early in this match. Davy is going 110 miles an hour. Something that was interesting. Off
4: the bat too is that the crowd chanting Davey Richards there's no matching AJ chant either no um, it was really weird to me I don't know if at this point people were just looking at AJ
1: as he's a TNA guy which going back to April with the 100th show uh, AJ Styles got one of the biggest baby face pops of the entire night mm-hmm. um, right on par with any of the, the top baby faces uh, this, there were just so many things about this match that I found weird. Like they they tried a to strike exchange at the start, great, it was it was fun, but then they went completely away from that for a while. They they went out to the floor and and uh, Richards got him with like a hanging DDT, and I don't know if that jarred AJ a little bit and maybe gave him uh, what my friends and I like to call a mellow mushroom or a jello head um, but, it but yeah looked, from that point on you, yeah there's that, like a match it looked awful just, um, yeah. in terms of, of the way AJ's head hit on on the concrete we did not have ring mats at this point uh, in any yeah. sense of the, the word ever um, it, it was good you know in terms of trying to establish Davey Richards as a, a incoming hot hand um, you know, he was clearly being positioned as a, a, a guy that was going to go up the card uh, as some of the TNA guys started to transition out in the coming months. Um, it was it was just a very weird match. There was nothing, nothing technically bad about it. I didn't feel like there was any blown spots or anything. It just, they didn't connect on the same level.
4: Didn't connect. I mean, they beat the hell out of each other.
1: Yeah. It was really snug. It was a snug uh, match, for sure. Uh, I love that...
4: yeah, it was, It's
1: just... I, I love that torture rack spot where Davey uh, tries to handspring off the ropes and uh, lands mm-hmm. in the torture rack uh, pretty fluidly, actually, and then gets hit with the torture rack powerbomb. Um, I think that was a really neat spot. Uh, I'm always a big fan of, of the stretch muffler when I see that move. Yeah. because um, I just think it looks really cool. Um, it just... There was nothing consistent in this match. It was... It wasn't bad. It wasn't... It, it just was there. Like, they were just it was, a, it was
4: a letdown from expectations. I remember that watching it yeah, I know. I remember this was one of the matches I took the time to be able to just sit and watch. And I remember it being a disappointment to the fans in attendance to watching it myself. I remember it was a disappointment to Gabe
1: uh, for what he was expecting out of it. I wonder if there was almost a disconnect between Davey and AJ putting the match together and maybe they both had two different visions for the match.
5: Maybe,
1: yeah. And it, it just got, you know, not necessarily convoluted, but maybe they tried to mesh each other's ideas and come to an agreement, and I, I just don't see what worked. Um, it was not a great match. They went a little over 17 minutes. Um, not a ton of selling. Uh, not a ton of, 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 like, flashy things where you go, oh, my God, that's so amazing. Um, but, you know... The, the spiral tap is always neat to see, even though AJ, you know, didn't hit it. Uh, no Styles Clash in this match at all, uh, other than the, the match itself was a Styles Clash. Or a yeah. Style, a Style Clash. Um, and it just, it wasn't great. Um, AJ hit, hit, uh, I guess he did hit the Styles Clash to finish off Davy Richards, looking down at my notes. Um but the, the the big the big note that I took away from this match yeah. was that unsafe DDT to the floor, um, yeah, and and how that had to be some sort of concussion. Um, this was Davey's first loss in Ring of Honor, and it was almost like going in you knew the result was AJ wasn't doing a job. Yeah. So, Maybe that. Kind I don't remember of exactly what
4: his role was in TNA at that point. Eventually, he was wrapped up in the X Division title. Yeah, the main mm-hmm. thing took away from that match for everybody it was um, just kind of disappointing overall. But it was a glimpse of what you would get out of Davey down the line.
1: Yeah, I mean he he really built himself uh, a pretty good core of matches against top names. You know, when Joe finished up, uh, he oh. was featured in, in that series. Um, you know, the following February during the anniversary spectacle. Um, he, he really he got in the ring with every name in the company, um, even going in advance of, of where they were at. You know, he started off hot and continued to be built up against all these names and used them as victims to, to establish his credibility. Uh, speaking of Joe... Um, after the match we we head to a Samoa Joe promo as he is on Team ROH in the main event and Joe talks about uh, the CGW uh, attacks and he says in the cage there are no weaknesses Uh, he says that there will be no ability to sneak attack anymore uh, which definitely does a little bit of forward storytelling with what we get into in the main event um, I thought Joe used his words really well here, um, and he was always a great promo. Um, yes. Because you believed everything he was saying, um, you could look away from the screen and just hear his words, and you felt like that was real. He was preparing for a real fight. Um, I guess kind of go into the Joe promo a little bit. And that was my exact thought that this was a perfect setup without being
4: blatant for what would come in the cage, uh, specifically because he talks about Brian in this promo. He talks about CZW and the cage death, but he also talks about when that's done, I've still got my eyes on Brian and the world title. And so, again, just like stuff that happened prior in the show, this show is forward-looking, is forward-looking.
1: And that's that was the the latter portion of the promo, as he says he still has... Uh, his eyes on Brian Danielson's ROH world title and he wants it back Um, I thought it was a very effective promo and of all the promos uh, from Team ROH throughout this DVD I thought this was the best one in terms of quality uh, because it was short quick, to the point covered every uh, angle to Joe's storyline headed into the main event Um, and it was serious it wasn't goofy like Ace's um, it wasn't just, you know, bing bang boom like BJ Whitmer's was. It wasn't threats of violence like Adam Pierce. Um, it, it just, it was a standard Samoa Joe promo, and it shows why he's one of the realest uh, performers in, in Ring of Honor
4: history. Yeah, everything, everything feels genuine.
1: Um, so after that, we flash back to Ring of Homicide which was in New Jersey on May 13th of 2006. And originally the main event of that show was Samoa Joe and Necro Butcher, if I remember correctly. Uh, Yes. But Joe was hurt, and Homicide filled in. Um, They had, from what I can recall, a pretty insane brawl. I haven't watched that match in years. But, I mean, pretty much all the Necro spots, the, the back... You know, back-to-back chair spot. Um, you know, the cutters through table. If I remember to the floor uh, from the ring post, um, and of course the cop the chair killer throwing chair. Yeah, the chair throwing riot. Uh, the cop killer onto the chairs, um, and then I think Metro got buried underneath the chairs. Yep. Um So a lot of a lot of uh, intriguing. Moments in that match. The thing that
4: jumped out to me though from this flashback uh was Homicide's t-shirt that would never ever ever fly in a million years now because it's a gun and it says cop killer. Yeah. Uh I, I just looked at us like, wow, we, the ridiculous shit that we got away with uh, we, ten years ago.
1: We really could start like a weekly feature when we do these podcasts about, okay, this is the thing that doesn't fly in 2018 mm-hmm. that occurred on this show. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's one of the things that that freedom that that I kind of felt WWE at this point in 2006 was very regimented, very script-related, and it didn't feel like there was any freedom from the talent. Everybody felt the same. You look nothing at this, organic. You, yeah, nothing was, was fan-created, nothing was organic. And you look at this show from what guys are wearing to uh, the, ta- the various talent and what they each bring to the table, everything in <laughs> Ring of Honor felt very genuine, very organic, very fan-oriented... Um, they knew their audience and they knew what their audience wanted and they kind of rolled with the punches and I thought Gabe did a really good job always finding that next thing uh, the fans wanted to see and sometimes it just fell in our lap yeah and, and Gabe always took advantage of that when he could um if, if the money was able to be spent on something he spared no expense uh, and, and I mean you look at the, at the guys on this show you know it's the who's who it's an all-star show of indie wrestling and you're doing storylines with everyone it's not it's not like you're just doing matches for the sake of matches everything has a point. Um, and speaking of points, we head in next to the Ring of Honor World Title Match, uh, featuring the American Dragon Brian Danielson and his challenger uh, CZW's Sanjay Dutt, uh, who, as we mentioned earlier, is now in charge of TNA. Um, Sanjay was an interesting, interesting wrestler for me. He was always very hit or miss. Um, yeah. There were times I can remember watching him uh, really early on in in watching independent wrestling. So we're talking uh, 2002, 2003. You know, I'm probably three years into watching independent wrestling and uh, just being blown away by what he did in the ring and how effortless he made some of his moves look. Um, But he never really had much of a personality. Um, Not a ton of natural charisma, However, in this match, I felt like he did a phenomenal job playing up his role as a heel. That's what I was going to say. This match, I felt like he was all personality. Like, I This think match was so much of him just showboating and playing up to the...
4: the, 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 the- the dance competing audiences the dances but I mean like he was playing up the CZW to the ROH fans Thought uh, he did a great job uh, working the character wise just I just thought it was such an interesting choice that he was the CZW guy yes that got the title match I, I don't re- all remotely remember why it was him it was just eh we can get a match with him that's fine that'll be good but not you know putting having to put one of CZW's top guys you know, putting Brian over one of the top, top guys. Because at that point, I had to look it up because I didn't watch a whole lot of CZW. He was in a faction called Pandora's Box, which the Flash and B-Boy. So I knew nothing about any of that. So he wasn't, like, the top guy. So it was a safe choice, I guess, to he- Brian for Brian to beat. And he could have a good match with it.
1: And he wasn't a plane ticket, so you didn't need to, to fly him in. He was a local lived in, in the Philly area. Um, where, you know, you, you could have taken B-Boy, who was a top name, uh, and put him in this spot. And I think fans would have really loved that. Um, you know, I personally, when I was watching this match, I was thinking... Man, this would have been a killer opportunity for Super Dragon and Brian Danielson to have a match. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, we uh, we talked before about why Super Dragon was not on the show,
4: and, and I mean, the, the most I was able to get out of that was that some, there was something, whether it was a PWG related conflict or personality conflict with Gabe, it wasn't. Just uh, it's just like yeah, it was almost like tossing him out the door was uh, about as uh, shooty as you could get.
1: Yeah, and that that's kind of unfortunate because he did play such a big role in this story. To not be able to really put that exclamation point in a in the ring, you had to do it, you know, throwing him out of the building. But this was a really a really fun match. I I thought this was peak Sanjay Dutt. Um, And I thought Brian did just as good a job as anybody as well. Um, You know, you you look at the competing crowds. um, You know, Brian, you know, obviously wants to do the Code of Honor. Sanjay slapped him, um, which I thought was great. They did a lot of stalling so that you built up the crowd uh, before you really got into the action. Uh, I like that a lot. Uh, Brian is announced as the CZW killer, which plays into his feud with Homicide uh, that we would see in the coming year. Um, And then, of course, you get my favorite chant from this entire feud. You hear the overrated chant, followed by shut the fuck up.
4: Oh, I thought you were going to say you're going to get your fucking head kicked in.
1: Well, you get that as well, because um, the crowd is not quiet. Now uh, The no, not entire at all. match, this is uh, as loud uh, as they were up until this point in the card. Um, but there is one chant I wanted to reference uh, from the CZW side of the bleachers that came. And this is another thing that doesn't age well in 2018. Uh, Ring of Homos. yeah. And it, it had gotten to the point where CZW fans on their message board had a filter installed into the text where if you typed homicide, H-O-M-I-C-I-D-E, it would change over to H-O-M-O-C-I-D-E. Um, that's how petty this war between the fan bases got. And, I mean, you talk about childish. I, this is just not an appropriate chant anywhere. To chant Ring of Homos, where you have to sell this DVD in perpetuity to bring money into the company. And this is what you're hearing. Uh, not, not good. Um, I, I don't even want to begin to think what CZW fans were thinking um, doing. You yes, also have the that, that
5: was you yes, I mean, that was gay chant that accompanies it during the match as well. Yeah.
1: Uh, it, it's just it's very odd. I don't like it. Um, I don't understand it. Um, you know, it, it's disrespectful to the performers in the ring, too. I think. Um, but you get a a bunch of other chants that I thought were really good. Um. <laughs> Brian's doing a lot of his, his standard, like, Matt Wrestling, and they're chanting same old shit, which was uh, something that is a throwback to the 100th show um, from the Delirious match. And ROH fans won up them because as that chant quieted down, the ROH side of the bleachers, which is where I was seated, uh, started same great shit. <laughs> And, and, and that went on for quite a while. Um, it, it, it's just, it, it's this crowd that makes this match. But the match itself, if you just muted the ring, or muted the fans, and just let the match speak for itself, uh, I thought they did a great job. Uh, Brian did an incredible job, uh, from my viewpoint, just selling
4: uh, and that was one of the exact things I wrote down too. Is he's his selling in this match was was to top shelf. But it's Brian, like, yeah, when doesn't he do something that's top shelf?
1: He's the best wrestler in the world for a reason. Uh, at, at least in 2006, um, it, you just you see, uh, Dutt doing a lot of his uh, flip and flop moves. Everything you know off the top looks crisp. Nothing For two guys that I, up until this point, had never wrestled each other. This was their first time meeting. Um, I thought this was an excellent match. Uh, Brian did some some really cool mat work. Sanjay held his own. Um, and that, that, to me, is kind of frustrating in a sense that I've watched Sanjay Dutt now for 15 years, and if he would use the personality that he used in this match, versus in con, in conjunction with his in ring performance, because that the backflip into the four, uh, 450 the splash months. that he does, the moonsault to the 450, um, you know, and the whole original playoff from the Himalayas, yeah. I thought was, is a great tagline. Um, I just wish you could combine that that charisma that he showed in this match with his in-ring style, and I think you'd have a really a really complete performer uh, that would have definitely fit in in Ring of Honor for sure. Um, yeah, just, I would definitely have um that would have seen this Sanjay
4: perform in all of his stints in the Ring of Honor. It would have been that uh, you would have had a, had a much more enduring Ring of Honor career.
1: Yeah, because I think he probably had, you know, maybe two or three matches up until this one.
4: And he came back for the HDNet during the HDNet era, and a few, like, dips in here and there. Funny thing was, I hadn't seen, probably, I hadn't seen Sanjay in, I don't even know, 2009, 2010, is probably the last time I saw him, and I ran into him on an indie show, and I was like, just completely, it was one of those... I don't know if I caught an only in wrestling moment where you haven't seen somebody in seven years and you pick up just like that. Hey, what's going on? Oh, your kids, your wife, your what? You know, it was that's he was always a super cool person. So seeing him, you know, years later for the first time.
1: And and I've and been picking
4: right back up again. Like
1: I've been fortunate enough to see him in Cleveland. Uh, he has done a lot of the AIW shows uh, in recent months, and when I've gone. I I think you would be very hard-pressed to find, you know, on a top ten list of the nicest human beings in wrestling, uh, anybody that doesn't put Sanjay Dutt on there. He's just a happy-go-lucky, he yep. loves wrestling, he's passionate about wrestling, and there are so many performers that get into this business that are just like, well, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and I'm just here to do my job, and I don't really have to enjoy things. And Sanjay just looks like he's enjoying everything he touches. And I think that's great. I, I have a ton of yes. respect for Sanjay. Um, we we know this match, uh, is we know how it's going to end. Um, Brian had established the elbows and ref stoppage um, as his finish. Uh, he kind of moved away from cattle mutilation uh, and the cross space chicken wing. Um, but we get the ref stoppage here. Um, Brian does all his signature spots. He does the surfboard, the knee stomp. Um, he, he even uh, uh, locks in cattle mutilation at one point, and Sanjay gets to the ropes. And I thought, when he got to the ropes, I thought, maybe they were going to do something a little crazy, thinking back to how I felt live at the show. Eh, maybe Gabe will do something crazy where... You know the cgw guy gets the roh belt for for just a moment um but it was not meant to be brian goes over strong here and he's got a lot of really big matches coming his way uh here in the next couple of months uh samoa joe he's got nigel McGuinness uh for the pure title uh title versus title in england um If I remember correctly, he's also wrestling Colt Cabana over the next couple of months. Cabana and Nigel on the back to back days. Um, Uh, Kenta. Kenta in September uh, in New York. Uh, He was in a tag match the night before that in Connecticut. um, In the tent. Fuck that building. In the tent. Fuck that building. In the tent. Uh, talk about that weekend another time yeah there were a lot of people that quit that weekend if i remember the, uh ring crew uh including a very good friend of mine uh who hosts who is
4: who I, I actually wrote down hey look larry's at ringside in this match
1: yes uh, larry dallas uh he'll be happy to have his name dropped mlw's newest host yep. uh host of the flagship uh so go check him out um but after the match is over, uh, Brian celebrates a little bit, and we go to Gary Michael Capetta for intermission. Um, he's got Nigel McGinnis with him, and Nigel is full-blown 110% heel in this promo. Oh, yeah. And it is awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, he, he says he's the best champion in Ring of Honor, and he's... Uh, you know, just so braggadocious. Um, he's got, you know, this look on his face like, how dare Gary Michael Capetta question the means that he's used to win the match? He he says he's willing to do whatever it is necessary to be the champion. Uh, he wants to, to be the best champion in the whole world. And uh, he, he talks about the tag team titles match uh, that. Uh, he ended up tapping out the strong during, and that led to the pure title match earlier tonight. But while he's talking about it, something very important happens.
4: Well, it's interesting his choice of words because he says if it wasn't for my partner, I'd be standing here as a tag team champion, and his partner was Classic Cole Cabana.
1: And as he says that, you hear... Colt Cabana say partner and you have the camera zoom over to the side where Colt Cabana is in the corner and he's uh having a little one on one time with with Lacey and it kind of came out of nowhere uh
4: and it, she quickly
1: and she scampered quickly just off, disappeared um trying not to to you know, allude to the fact that there may be some some funny business going on between Cabana and Lacey. You know, good-looking guy, good-looking girl. Maybe, maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. Uh, that's a forward a forward story that we'll uh, we'll have to get into at a later date. But uh, it definitely plays into a a, a long-term storyline for Jimmy Jacobs. Uh, it doesn't pay off for over a year.
4: Yeah. We
1: we have over a whole, whole other year before this thing really pays
4: off. Oh. It was good with this, the, 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 this promo not teases that. Whatever it is, because you are get nothing. You from don't that. know there's what. Nothing. It's just like Nigel going whatever you're doing over there, but it just this sets up boom, pure title match for the next show in Dayton. Yep. Uh, kind of reminds fans Colt wrestling Brian in a two out of three falls match in Chicago. It's it was and to reestablish, you know, there's always been that the tension with Nigel and um and Cole too. Uh, even when they were teammate it was like yeah, but then they had that old soccer right match before, so it's like this this. Seemingly almost innocuous promo of Nigel just putting himself over
1: expands into so much more. Yeah, and that that's the great way to put it is that this was just a central Nigel promo, and it opened up the as we I've said before the spider web of, of stories. We're going off here to to the, the long term rivalry partnership with Cabana, and then we're going over here with Jimmy Jacobs and Lacey. And now somehow Colt Cabana has found his way into the Lacey thing. Uh, he talks about Brian and their upcoming match, title versus title. Uh, he talks about how he's, he's willing to do whatever it takes to keep his belt and show he's the best champion in wrestling. So he's... Nigel is opening up his character so that all these other different facets of the company can also move forward and get over. And... The detail that Nigel uses, the words he uses, I, th- I think this was a fantastic promo, and it fit in the right spot because it's before the main event. It's going to be something people will see on the DVD after a Brian match, so you can relate the two items there. Uh, this was a fantastic promo, uh, and, and I, I think that this. Nigel's storyline where it's going. If if we're gonna kind of look back from 2018, all the way back to 2006, who are the two the two wrestlers you associate Nigel McGuinness with during his time in Ring of Honor? Colt Cabana, Brian Daniels. And Brian. And this promo encapsulates something small, but something so large to his career retrospective. Um, we go from that to a flashback back to In Your Face which was one of my least favorite show names ever uh, in company history I thought it was just goofy um, and we see Hom- it's it hard come, come on, it gets difficult and that's,
4: okay. you at, as you know I don't particularly watch the current product but I see show names and they're pretty awful oh they're horrible they're pretty awful so I mean it gets pretty difficult to name shows once you get uh, you know 100 shows deep there <laughs> that's when you started getting twos and threes and just slapping the years on that it's like I get I completely understand why UFC is just 200 201 202 yep. 203
1: so much easier than trying to come up with new names every single show I just think you guys in the office there could have come up with something a little bit better than in your face
4: yeah, I don't even know if this was a Gabe name or if it was a collective decision. Because some shows were just already named in his head, and then sometimes it was a collective decision. And every once in a while, we'd actually have names ahead of time if
1: something fit. But it was just very bizarre. I love the in contrast to the negativity surrounding In Your Face. Um, I love the name of the show the next night, which is Shy Town Struggle, but it. At In Your Face, we see Homicide, uh, you know, defeating Chris Hero, um, after, uh, Claudio took out Joe's knee, uh, we, you know, we, we see that, Homicide beating, uh, the next of CZW's, like, featured performers, um, and then the next night we see at Chi Town Struggle, uh, Claudio and Necro beating on Samoa Joe. Um, working on his knee specifically, which will play into the upcoming match. Um, and it's it's main event time. Um, we're gonna go go right to the main event. Um,
4: the announ- announcers are immediately gone, which I probably mixed bag for this match, not having the announcers. Uh, I enjoyed the crowd audio experience that we had in the 100th show. But going through the match, I also felt that there's so many little things in this match that could have used the commentators to flesh out. Things that you would not remotely understand unless you were a diehard wrestling fan of things outside of Ring of Honor. Correct. Much less if you're coming to see this for the first time and you have no idea, there's a lot of the stuff that makes no sense 10 years later if you aren't paying attention
1: and we- then. When you have a DVD product and you're putting out, you know, 35 shows a year, roughly, uh, give or take, you know, some fans are not able to purchase every single show. So if you're expecting them to purchase every one of your shows and then be familiar with all the storylines and characters that, that exist in other universes with other promotions, I don't know if it was was wise to have no announcers here. Uh, it was one thing during Samoa Joe and Kobashi, uh, Kent Kobashi, uh, back in October of '05 to do the no announcers. Uh, that was one of the live experiences that, you know, if you weren't one of the 500 people that were in the building that night, um, you wanted to at least try and translate that live atmosphere. Um, and that wasn't a match that had
4: this intricate story details no. and intricate pairings and, you know, heat, some story, you know, that was connected to other companies and other relationships. That, that match was very self-contained.
1: If you look at, at the competitors that are in this main event from Team ROH and Team CZW, you have the following promotions uh, involved. Ring of Honor. CZW, IWA Mid South, PWG, and Chikara, and you could probably also throw in FIP if you really wanted to be generous. I mean, that—that's how many storylines in promotions you—you you have to follow to, to follow all ten of these guys.
4: You could definitely throw an FIP because I know it's not part of the, what we're talking about, but the the video wire that's tacked onto this DVD has has promos filmed in FIP. The the FIP Ring of Honor marriage was strong at this point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and in fact, uh, either the next FIP weekend or the the one following it, uh, I think. Eddie Kingston had a a match down there if I remember possibly I'm trying to think of the timeline but I want to say like Eddie Kingston Jigsaw and
4: possibly Sweeney Larry Sweeney I I know one, one one of the trips I made down there was with was with Sweeney and Jig and Akuma I feel like and um some of the other, like Jakar guys too. So it may have been around that time. I don't recall exactly.
1: Well, let's let's kind of explain the rules uh, for Cage of Death. Um, this is this is just the standard CZW like baseline cage. There's no levels or layers or crazy glass or anything like that. Uh, they they had used this cage the previous Cage of Death. Uh, along with a bunch of other toys and goodies outside the ring, but uh, there are tables with barbed wire, there are barbed wire bats, steel chairs, trash cans, all sorts of, of I would say safe but not ultra violent weaponry uh, outside the there's ring. There's no glass. Yeah, no glass. Uh, the thumb There's tacks, no cactus. No cactus. Uh, the thumbtacks will come later. Um, spoiler alert uh, but this is the, the rules are the standard war game style rules JJ uh, Dillon of Four Horsemen fame is here clad in his red horseman jacket uh, just in case anybody had no idea why he was here um, he was a member of the Four Horsemen the Four Horsemen were in a bunch of the early War Games matches uh, he's the coach of the Ring of Honor team Uh, Despite the fact that his team never won a coin toss in the history of war games, uh, somehow uh, the Ring of Honor team wins the coin toss. So after a five minute period with one member of each team, the the coin flip will happen and there will be a two minute period where they'll do alternating entrances. The match and worked.
4: what shocked me was that I actually did my best to keep track, and the times
1: were pretty much honored. Yes, yeah, they were not. It was it was not Titan time. This was uh, no, it's not Titan time. This was uh, rave review ticket time. Uh, they they, uh, they they stuck to the two minute time period and the alternating entrances, uh, which led to some very interesting uh, fan response during points of the match. Um, and then the match can only end when uh, everybody's in the cage, uh, and there's a pinfall or submission finish. So uh, the other fun note I wanted to point out here is is a, a sort of a rib on Bobby Cruz, the ring announcer. Um, Bobby had not started dyeing his hair yet, so there's no shine to his hair. And and I made a special note. Uh, as I was watching this match, I said, Bobby Cruz has yet to start putting product in his hair. Um, please make sure to publicly note this on the podcast. So if he does hear it, he will know that I am keeping tabs on his hair.
4: So Bobby... I used to bust his balls so much about that.
1: Bobby... Just let he, just Just enough. Like, look distinguished, but he wants to uh, have his very fancy dark... And by dark, I mean we're talking like you turn the lights out of a room, it's like he doesn't exist. His hair is so dark. It looks ridiculous. Um, but Bob And Bobby's a great ring announcer. He does a great presentation of the, the whole company, and it's good that he's with the company long term, uh, signing a two-year agreement today to stay around. So uh, congratulations to him. But uh, out first for Ring of Honor is... What I would say, the team captain uh, Samoa Joe, um, and you can see as he's coming to the ring, he's talking to the camera.
4: He always did, and he yeah he never he, stopped talking. He
1: always did, and uh, it was like you you remember you know like looking back at the time frame that we're we're having this match, and he's starting to get built up at TNA, and. I, the only negative thing I had uh, thinking about this match in hindsight is what would peak ROH Samoa Joe have been like in a cage of death? You know, would, would, he, would, it, would it have been the Joe versus Kobashi uh, type Samoa Joe? What, what kind of crazy stuff would he have been willing to do if, if he wasn't A, you know, working the angle with the knee And B was going to participate in the full match. Um, I I don't know. But uh, Claudio Castagnoli, turncoat Benedict Arnold, um, he's out uh, for CZW to the CZW theme song, which is always a treat. Uh, (laughs) J.J. Dillon glares at him as he he enters the cage. So J.J.'s clearly been prepped with the storyline. Uh, that Claudio is a turncoat, no good bastard. And uh, I thought that, you know, the start of this match is exactly what you wanted.
4: Uh, I, my, my, my big no for Claudio is that that gear is amazing. Yes. Uh, he looks like a mummer. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, it's amazing what gear can do for the presentation. Like, you know, some people don't need that. They just they have their presence and then that's it, you know. And and with Claudio he's got the briefcase, he's got the the, the outer portion of the suit jacket, he's got the tie, he's got the vest, and then he's got to take all that off. And JJ Dillon is just looking disgusted as he's taking his time. And um, the CGW fans are are chanting Joe has bitch tits while this is going on. The ROH fans are chanting, Joe is going to kill you. Um, and and Claudio does a really smart thing, because I think a lot of people were just ready for this to go by this point in the show. I mean, it, it had been a long show, but it didn't feel like a long show live. But time-wise, it really had been a long show. And Claudio is in the ring uh, you know, fakes going into the ring, and he pussyfoot's going around the ring, you know, looking like a coward, and playing up that heel character so perfectly. Uh, and everything, and I wrote down that he he looked out into the ROH bleachers at one point while he was attempting to go into the ring, and then immediately got
4: out of the ring. And I it was funny. I was watching good. watching this match, I was like. I just assumed that as soon as they were in the cage, the bell rang. And so I was sitting there going, what the fuck are you doing? Get in the ring. You're just, why are you stalling? You know you're gonna be outnumbered. I just, I hadn't even realized the bell hadn't rang until they both got in the ring. Mm-hmm. So I was getting pissed off at Claudio stalling. like, you're gonna be outnumbered. Why the fuck are you stalling? And, and then I was you- like, oh, cause they didn't ring the bell until they both got in the cage. Oh, okay, I'm just an idiot.
3: Bulk Supplements offers pure dietary supplement ingredients at low prices. Check out bit.ly slash BulkSupplements1 and receive free shipping when you spend at least $49. If you order by 4 p.m. Pacific, you can also receive same-day shipping. Bulk Supplements has it all. Protein powder, creatine, bee pollen powder, cranberry extract, vitamin powder, St. John's wort, niacin, even horny goat weed, and anything else you could possibly want. So check out bit.ly slash BulkSupplements1 for all your dietary supplement needs.
1: And it, it really was a fun start once the action did pick up. Mm-hmm. Joe hits that big uh, dive. The, the crowd is literally on their Joe's. tips of their toes at this point. They're so excited. Both
4: sides. Joe's fire. Joe's fire and that crowd combined it was like nuclear. Mm-hmm. And then. And then it continued once, the, with, you know, for the first time ever, the baby babyfaces uh, have the numbers advantage. When BJ comes in and gets, like, their biggest pop of his entire career, BJ was, like, the hottest shit coming into that match. He was so over.
1: And this was a great spot for BJ to come in second uh, because you had Joe and Claudio, who were two central figures in this feud, And then you had the sacrificial lamb coming in with the advantage to get his revenge on the guy that turned his back on Ring of Honor. And I thought that little, integral part was very um, advanced thinking in terms of putting this match together. Uh, One of the things I really liked that I don't think I've actually seen since is Joe's soccer kick a trash can at Claudio. Yes. Um, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that, and I think if they tried to do it, I don't know if it would have worked the same. Because it was just so random. And it it, it worked for the spot that it was. Um, there, w- there wasn't really anything else from that early five minute period. Um, Joe did do 20 face washes, and then uh, the right. running face wash for Blackjack, uh, 21. Um, and then it's you know time for B.J. Whitmer to come out, and he's got a bag of thumbtacks with him that he snuck into the ring. So uh, that plays into something later in, in my favorite spot of the whole match. Um, yeah. He and Claudio immediately trade shots. Uh, they, they beat the crap out of each other. I mean, Claudio is not a super stiff worker, um, but no. those two guys were laying it in, and everybody across the board in this match did that. Nobody pulled any punches. Um, and a ton of respect. But as as the uh timer expires, uh, Chris Hero comes out, and Hero uh is being heckled by the crowd. Uh, he's you know, looking into to both sides of the crowd. Like he's looking at the C G W side for help because he's outnumbered. You know, Claudio is down at this point and he really doesn't want to enter the cage because even if he enters the cage and he's outnumbered, he's gonna be outnumbered three to two shortly thereafter. Uh this this is awesome, um as as the double teaming uh You know, Claudio or double teaming Hero, and you you see like Joe and Whitmer at one point look at each other and like kind of shake their heads and say, "Yeah, this is how it's supposed to be." Now we're really cooking on all cylinders. And then out comes the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. Real quick, one of the things um, with Hero coming
4: out that I really appreciated, and one of those moments that would have been acknowledged with commentators is he's wearing the czw heavyweight title yes it's very it's a very easy thing to miss because the crouch the the shot of him taking the belt off is so fast but i just thought that was a nice touch that he wore his czw title out because a lot of times when you see somebody wrestling in another company they're not wearing their belts from another from another promotion but because of the the rivalry and this feud and this the culmination of all of this, it was super appropriate that he wore the belt to this and just kind of like a reminder, like yep, yeah, I'm the man in CZW, which I think really kind of further builds up his whole segment that happens in the middle of this match.
1: Yeah, and that that was a great point because you you look at Brian, Brian comes out and. He doesn't have any entrance gear. He had just wrestled. He's very, you know, salt of the earth with his look. But he, everybody was anticipating Danielson getting his hands on Hero, and that's, you know, the second thing that happens. First of all, he takes out Claudio, uh, and then he goes right at Hero, and the crowd is going crazy that those two are in Philly. They had their hands on each other again. And then, uh, I guess, kind of the most surreal part of the whole match uh, happens. You see Joe and Brian double-teaming Chris Hero and, like, working cohesively.
4: Brian's super baby face in this whole segment.
1: Yeah, he's... he Brian, who worked as a heel uh, in April against Delirious, who... who you know as a heel to half this crowd is doing the ultra baby face he's doing the 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 double dropkick spot you know or the, the top rope dropkick spot um, you know th- he's attacking chris hero they're doing double teams you know with samoa joe like the two faces of the company are, are working alongside even though they're in a feud with each other at this point uh, you know hero you know, makes a comeback um, and he locks Joe in a cravat uh, as uh, Danielson is calling, you know, at this point for the muscle buster once Joe breaks out of it. And this, this live was something that I will never forget just being so shocked because, A, we were under the impression, okay, Brian Danielson's going to work the Cage of Death match, Joe is going to be on the team those are members 4 and 5 those were the guys that ROH had to rely on to carry them because no disrespect to Pierce or to Whitmer or to Ace Steele they weren't top of the card for ROH so at this point uh, Brian turns on Joe he takes out his knee and then he just continues to kick him and beat him as he's down And all of a sudden... It was fucking genius. It was genius. Yeah, like, Brian immediately is a heel to everybody in the building. He goes from being a babyface to the ROH fans and a heel to the CGW fans to being the guy that took out the one wrestler that everybody likes watching.
4: You have the story of your world champion gave more of a shit of getting one up on his challenger than defending the company he represents yep. Brian worked his way into the cage just to take a shot at Joe and get one up on Joe mm-hmm. it was fuck Ring of Honor fuck you Jim Cornette fuck you fans I'm picking my spot and it was played brilliantly and I I don't remember the day of crowd reaction but watching it back just hearing the crowd reaction this was one of those moments where the no commentary was very beneficial yes get the feel of the crowd just being utterly shocked
1: i remember just sitting in the bleachers and, and not knowing what to do like i mean i was you know almost 21 at this point and i just remember sitting there thinking like oh my god Ring of Honor is going to lose this match and then what happens? Like does CZW win this storyline? Is that is that how cuz I hadn't even factored that homicide was going to get into the match because of the the three wishes that Cornette had denied. So there were there were a whole number of, of, of motions that were running rampant. And then Nate Webb
4: came out for for
1: team CZW. As, well, you lose Joe, you
4: lose Brian, so bam, two gone right there. Yeah, other the other person you have. Gone. BJ's by himself, with BJ's by himself against the Kings of Wrestling. And Nate Webb.
1: Um, and, and and this was, was exciting to me because Nate Webb was always one of my favorite uh, wrestlers in IWA Mid-South. So getting to see him in person for the first time uh, was very exciting to me. Um, he didn't I loved move.
4: his I love his ring of honor shirt. <laughs> yes, his, his ring of honor shirt with the CZW spray paint it was good. It was a
1: nice touch. It's a nice touch. He's got a, got his creepy mustache.
4: <laughs> like if you looked at Nate Webb, and, and,
1: and those of you listening at home, uh, or if you're somewhere else listening, uh, go Google Nate Webb and see what what if that guy looks like a baby face to you. Because he he doesn't look like the standard babyface, but for whatever reason, maybe it's the entrance that he does.
4: Uh, that certainly helps. Like you the know, teenage dirtbag entrance is certainly a. Uh, and I
1: was I was kind of upset that we didn't get it for this because I thought ROH fans would have booed it like crazy. <laughs> but it probably would have taken the entire two minutes. Yeah. And it it was just so Nate Webb is in the cage. Uh, you are actually out on screen helping out Samoa Joe and getting him out of the cage.
4: Um, I hated that shit by that point. You, it was you. I uh, hated Thomas, it. Mitch hated so much having to do those spots uh, at that point. The,
1: the Dempseys. Um, everybody was out to to help, you know, the the man, the soul of ROH, out of the cage, mm. and Brian at this point, walks out of the cage voluntarily while Cornette is screaming at him. Uh, I thought Jim Cornette did a great job here not making this about himself, which is a rarity. Yeah. Uh, This was not about getting Jim Cornette over. Uh, This was about getting Brian over, uh, getting his betrayal of the company and, and his teammates over, and now everybody's worried about Samoa Joe. It's three on one in favor of Team C Z W. You know, Nate Webb is drop kicking a garbage can into BJ Whitmer's head and all of a sudden Adam Pierce is ready to enter. He doesn't wait the full two minutes. You know, we mentioned talking about the time earlier. He actually comes in at a minute and fifty eight seconds because he had already Ow. started running down the ring. Or running down toward the ring. Uh, before before the time was ready, so he comes in and he runs wild. Uh, he hits a, a great spine buster, which is probably Pierce. Other than his pile driver, uh, the one move that is a staple for Adam. Um, and I guess you could throw in the top rope splash as well. Uh, but those are you know his three three go to moves, and uh, BJ's busted wide open at this point. Uh, so, Adam helps him up, Nate Webb takes a chair and is, is uh, knocking over people with it, he chokes Whitmer with it, um, you know, it's still three on two. Uh, Pierce is, is somehow out onto the floor, and Claudio does a really cool spot where he catapults Pierce into the side of the cage. Uh Oh, uh, yes. And, and I took note of that because the angle that he had to go get up because Claudio has such long legs that Pierce had to will his body up and then shoot himself into the cage at a distance was really a, a great sign of athleticism. Uh, and, and it actually looked really awesome when he did it. It looked like it hurt. Um and then at this point it's uh, now four to two as really the the soul of CZW the Necro Butcher comes out and he's barefoot and he is entering cage of death. Uh, the the bizarreness of this whole scene uh, having seen Necro in person now uh, at this point for me it was like three or four times. Um, Actually, it was a little more than that. It's probably like five or six times. I it, I just I couldn't quite figure out Necro Butcher. I was I I don't know whether I like looked at him and I was like, God, this guy looks like a homeless man. Like somebody get him some help. Then I would see what he would put his body through, and I'm like, okay, maybe he's just not mentally right in the head. <laughs> uh,
4: or maybe he's
1: just got a mellow mushroom. I don't know.
4: Um, and like we talked about on the 100th show, he was actually like extremely intelligent, so mild-mannered, just walk around with his reading glasses on all the time. Every, it,
1: it's <sighs> very much akin to the yin and yang that is pro-wrestling, where the character that he portrayed was the complete opposite of how he is in real life. And I, I, I've grown to be a huge fan of the Necro Butcher. Uh, in this time that, that since it's passed. Um, his run in Ring of Honor was, was great, and I thought like there was more that could have been done, uh, but in this case uh, he's maximized his full potential. He looks like a wild man, reminiscent yes. of, of Bruiser Brody, he, and now you're putting him in a, a, a essentially a cell of some sort where nobody can escape him and um, and, and at this point, like, the fans are chanting Backyard Wrestling, and Chris Hero, uh, as Necro Butcher in the background, is stomping BJ Whitmer with his bare, dirty feet. Uh, which, as I'm a germaphobe, so that disgusted me. More than it looked like it hurt, it disgusted me.
4: Wait till the end of the match, and I'll tell you what was going through my head.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll get there. But the... the, the Two things in this following like two minute stretch uh, before the next ROH member enters the cage um, that really I thought were were interesting little facets to the match I guess you could say. Um, Chris Hero takes a chair and he you look like he's gonna you know hit somebody with it but he just puts it down and sits down, puts his hands behind his head, you know lounging, uh, lamping as I've heard people describe it. Um, he's, he just looks like he's relaxed. There's all this chaos around him. It reminded me of the Joker in, in Batman uh, in The Dark Knight.
4: What's he got to worry about? They're, they got the four-on-two advantage, and there's nothing to worry about at all. And for me, like during the same segment too, there's two things that one was funny and the other one drove me nuts. Necro goes for a pin. Of all people... To go for a pin after a move in this entire thing, it amused me that it was necro. The one that drove me nuts was that in an editing choice where the camera chooses to linger on, well, the editing chooses to linger on BJ as he's trying to rip his cut sc- his c- back yep. open because the bleeding is stopped. I, I so you're watching you saw BJ. It saw the same thing that I did you're watching yeah you're watching BJ try to rip himself back open and the and the editing stays on there and I'm just like I'm yelling at the screen like fucking cut go away yeah. it's like, you're not you're not gonna stay on somebody blatantly calling a spot why the fuck are you staying on somebody blatantly trying to rip their head open
1: so, so when I watched this match for a second time I had a friend over uh, that lives in my neighborhood and he's not a big wrestling fan but he's always kind of been intrigued that I've seen so much wrestling in my day, and it's different than WWE. So anytime I watch something kind of off the wall that you know you probably wouldn't regularly see, I'll invite him over, and he comes over, and he's sitting there, and I said, uh, and knowing what was coming from BJ in the editing department here, uh, I said, uh, watch, watch watch this, and see if you you notice anything, and then I paused it after it was over, and he goes was he like trying to get more blood from his forehead what was going on there and I said yeah it was not a good editing job it was like one of the glaring mistakes um, yeah there's
4: there's always there's always some the one floor camera focus was soft for most of the show yeah. <laughs> little things that drive me nuts watching the
1: entire watching the, the these older shows. and you know the other thing that didn't really fit uh, in terms of aging well that happened in this segment is Necro has a ladder on the floor and he and Pierce are going at it and instead of taking the ladder and Pierce putting his hand up on his forehead to absorb the blow Necro just takes this ladder and just slams it into a completely unprepared Adam Pierce's head and I cringed when I heard it, and when I went back and watched it, I just shook my head because, A, if you don't get your hand up for that, there's no way to, to, to fake getting hit in the head with a ladder. There's no pad yeah. on top of the ladder. He literally hit him as hard as he possibly could with this ladder. It was so unsafe, and that's not a disrespectful shot at Necro you're in the heat of battle, you're going to get some live rounds, but my god. Yeah, that's my, that's my recollections of so much
4: of, uh, of Necro is that he's just in the heat of battle and just starts throwing shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whether if you're paying attention or not, you're better if you be ready
1: to... Be <laughs> ready at all times with Necro.
4: Same thought I had with Hero a little bit later, too. Um, well, if, <laughs> after Ace comes in.
1: Yeah, if we really want to get, you know, reckless and, and talk about Ace, yeah, Ace still comes out and he is not afraid to use that cowbell that he comes armed with. And he he nails everybody with it. And I don't know how in the hell you, you protect yourself from a cowbell shot. Because the bell's got to ring. Not only is that sound loud. And it gets picked up loud. He is going to town with it. And Necro uh, puts up a chair as filter... So Ace is just whacking this chair with the bell. And, and I, I mean, I don't know what to even say. Like, he hit him so hard the first time before Necro put up the chair. It was almost as if Necro was saying, okay, I can't take that. So I'm going to use this chair as protection.
4: Yeah, I think everyone felt the the environment was... um. It was uh, essentially permission to just let it all hang out, go to fucking town on everything, and just everything that was thrown in was snug, safe, and smoked. I don't even know about safe. But, I don't know uh, It was safe. just thrown. It was just we're throwing shit at each other, hitting each other as hard as we possibly can safely. The
1: safest thing in this
4: this match. This entire scene is chaos.
1: Yeah, that's and that was kind of the thing that the word that I would use to describe this whole match. It was just chaos. The safest thing in this match is Brian clipping Joe's knee. Uh,
4: Yeah, and hero with a cravat. Other than
1: that, yeah, right. That's it. Well, then you get
4: put the unsafe shit then you get Hero when he starts into the, the promo Ace just whips a trash can into the back of his head so mm-hmm. you know Chris had no idea that was coming because he just mm-hmm. drills him and I have to look at Hero's face he's like disgusting. what the fuck was that so so, what- but it worked because then it just amped up the anger level of his promo so much that it was it was awesome he basically lost his shit and just started attacking anything that came near him while ranting and raving at the same time it was the the while the, well, completely unsafe the trash can shot
1: just added that extra like oomph yeah it was a, a layer to, to the story and what you're referring to is when Chris Hero grabs the microphone he starts the CZW CZW chant and There's stuff just being thrown into the ring from the crowd, from one side of the crowd. Um, And he begins talking, and he says he's made a deal with the devil. And at this point, I think everybody in the crowd knew who he was talking about. But I know on the ROH side, there were some fans sitting around me. Um, Nobody I knew uh, personally, but a couple of fans sitting around me that were saying oh, man, Homicide's going to join the CZW team as the fifth man. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the man that it eventually became. But during the middle of of him talking about making a deal with the devil, as you mentioned, Ace just chucks a trash can at him and drills him. Uh, And then Claudio covered and, and took out Ace, and Hero continued announcing that his partner is somebody he hates somebody he hates more than he hates ROH and somebody that ROH you know will hate more than Chris Hero already hates them and he calls out the king of diamonds Eddie fucking Kingston uh, tell tell me your thoughts on Eddie Kingston
4: um, i have always i have always had love for Eddie um, personally, professionally, I've always been a big fan of Eddie's. Um, I just, I remember the first time I think I ever worked with him was um, IWA Mid South shows. Um, and I just when he was him, him and Blackjack were still together. They were still a tag team at that point. And um, <laughs> one random funny Eddie story that pops in my head: One I, Ring and Evan Starrs more decided to go to a Chikara show um shortly after around the same time from when we first met Eddie too and I just remember Eddie looking at, seeing us in the crowd and he looks at us and he just starts throwing up like punk's hand gestures at us just to amuse us like me and him me and Jefferson are like laughing and he's throwing up like the punk acts at us and doing all sorts of shit like just to pop me and me and Evan in the crowd um and that's just kind of how I always think of Eddie is I, was, I was someone I always had fun with and was um enjoyable to be around so when he got brought into ring of honor on a more regular basis later on uh it was cool i always enjoyed he was just he was fun it was fun to have in a locker room
1: he always struck me as a guy that just genuinely enjoyed wrestling a lot like sanjay oh
4: in terms oh of- my god actually ran indie fed me Rat, pelly work in the show because I think Hiro was the one to put it all together we all drove out together and just remember sitting there like listening to Eddie with so much passion about uh, Kobashi and Sawa and Kauai and Kawada and so much passion when we talked about Japanese dress in particular it was just like emanating off of him
1: he's a he's a guy that I think has unfortunately been held back by himself himself uh and I, I don't know what his personal life is like. I know he had a really good job. So, you know, with the insurance benefits that that job provided, um, maybe wrestling full-time wasn't the easiest for him uh, when he was up <clears throat> in New York. Now he's down in the Orlando area, and I think he works for Disney. Um, yeah. But... Uh, You know, who knows? You might be greeting Goofy at the Disney World theme park, and it's actually the King of Diamonds, Eddie Kingston, inside.
4: Wouldn't that be? Yeah. Now, when I when I just to to clarify, when I say himself, I mean like I don't think he realized he was could be as good as he could.
1: It it was always. Does that make
4: sense? Yeah. It was always a self confidence. Issue. I think he, yes I think that's, he that's was, what I felt like Eddie didn't realize how good he could be
1: he felt like maybe his look held him back and he got in some phenomenal shape
4: yes he uh, did
1: there's a, a, a theme that uh, AIW promoter John Thorne uses where he says I want gear Eddie when I when I book you I don't want basketball shorts Eddie Kingston
5: mm-hmm
1: and I've noticed there is a distinct difference between the two. It's just what kind of mood he's in that day as to how hard he wants to work. Um, and Eddie Kingston was always somebody that looked like a legitimate tough guy that you didn't want to mess with, very much like Homicide in terms of that like New York street tough. Um, and, everything and he man, looked
4: legit. Man, can Eddie talk?
1: Yeah, and, and uh, that, was, that was gonna be the next thing I said is his promos.
4: Dude, when I was filming all the promos, he was always one of my favorites to just like Alright, you're building up the match with here, uh by on or not. Go. That was it. It was so cause and you would just you could feel it. He was one of those guys when you you could feel it through the camera, like you're you're on the other end of it recording it and you can feel the emotion. You can see it on his face. It's it was for those two, three, four minutes of the promo, everything was real. And, 100%
1: real and that's the thing with Eddie Kingston that, that persona that look, that presence that charisma everything about him there was just something that for whatever reason it never blossomed the way so many of us thought it would uh, TNA used him and it didn't really go anywhere um, but I think that was more on TNA being TNA than, than anything. Um, you know, and, and Eddie, he's getting a little older. I would love to see him have an, uh, a run successfully in the independents. Uh, it just depends on Eddie himself, really. Uh, you know, he never got out to PWG more than once, which is surprising for a guy at his name level. Um, and, you know, he, he just had this this vibe, and when he came to the ring for this match, I, I felt like, okay, CZW is definitely going over here,
4: and and this is this was one of the big moments where I thought about the commentary thing mm-hmm. because the backstory of Eddie and Hero hating each other is as much, well, I should say, was as real. <laughs> As it could be, um, they weren't always. They didn't always get along the best, personally or professionally.
1: Oh. Um, and the, the story behind that partly is uh, Eddie Kingston's former tag team partner, Blackjack Marciano. Uh, if I remember correctly, Chris Hero had something to do with running Blackjack out of the business.
4: Uh, I believe so. I. They.
1: A, he was training them and. Um, Maybe it got a little bit too rough with with Blackjack or maybe did a little bullying. I don't know the specifics behind it. But I know that was kind of the genesis that was alluded to over commentary uh, when they would work with each other. And for these two to be on the same side here, this was the first time I can ever remember them being on the same side of anything. Mm-hmm. So they were it was kind of a, a, a mind fuck if you if you
4: look back at it. So sidebar to this and i I had in my memory the longest time that Gabe wanted to do Ring of Honors parallel to this in the cage. That he had wanted to put Carino in the cage and basically have him on the same team as Homicide. Now, I, this, was, this has been in my memory for 10 years, like, thinking that that was what Gabe wanted to do. So I just went and went to the source and had asked Steve directly. And he's like, no, it was someplace else that wanted to put us together as a team. But for the longest time, I, thought, I had thought that Gabe wanted that Homicide Carino
1: parallel for the Ring of Honor team that Kingston and Hero had for the CCW team. And that would have been a really interesting thing to even flip-flop that and have Hero bring in Carino and have Homicide be brought in, you know, or have Kingston brought in by Homicide. Yeah. Or, you know, or by Cornette, some some hypothetical way to get Kingston onto the ROH team, uh, even though it didn't really fit with the storyline. But the idea of the ROH version of, of Hero and Kingston, Homicide and Carino... If you added that layer of intensity to this, anything's possible with, with what they yeah. could have done. I mean that that Philly crowd would have probably blown their minds. Yeah, Steve said it was FWA that wanted to uh, to
4: put that together. Not not Gabe, but yeah, for all these years I thought it was something Gabe had wanted to do. And that's
1: a that's an idea that I think Gabe probably would have had. It's something creative enough. That the way with the way his mind works uh, and worked during the, the yeah. ROH run is that he he just seemed like constantly one idea would feed into another idea
4: and yeah. then those two maybe ideas, maybe it was an idea maybe it was an idea he floated out there and it just never floated it to Steve or homicide and just floated it around the office because I got it from somewhere
1: yeah I mean or maybe you just came up with it on your own and was like yeah possibly and i I a great
4: genius Um, and then so speaking of of homicide
1: and yeah and uh as as it looks like all hope is lost for the heroes uh Eddie Kingston's running wild um Kingston and and uh Whitmer are, are exchanging just some brutal chops and all of a sudden Whitmer moves and he drills Hero and there's like a little standoff and they're, they're yeah. jaw jacking with each other and I thought it was great Necro tries to play Peacemaker yeah. Uh, for, yeah, for just a smidgen of a second until the Kill Bill entrance song hits and Homicide comes out
5: <clears throat>
1: and he's got Julius Smokes with him and he's got a wooden board that I'm pretty sure the other side of the board said ouch I I think so I don't remember specifically and I tried pausing it several times but the way the DVD um, is constructed it's
4: just not meant for a television it's 80 inches. So no, no, no. There's, there, there's. I, I, think stream. you're right. Wow, I forgot about I, that. But it, yeah, that's that. That's ringing some bells in my,
1: dumbheadle brain. I asked uh, several people. Um, and uh, the only thing that we could all come up with was ouch, uh, which was my gut feeling I, I, from the beginning.
4: And then and I started thinking, who would have written something that cheesy on there? And I started thinking of Cabana. Yes, yes. <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe Colt wrote, wrote that on there. But the, the, the board itself was gimmicked up by Jim. Um, that was, Jim was great for that sort of shit. Uh, knowing exactly after all these years how to get, drill, nail the board just properly so it cracks just enough that it makes that awesome noise that you get when when D swings it. Um, he was great for that sort of stuff. And he whacked
1: it as hard as he possibly
4: could oh, in and Kingston's the, head. It's like a gunshot. It's a gunshot sound. And, and you that's know just, what?
1: That was in my notes. I wrote gunshot sound.
4: Because yep. And it, that's, it, that's what it was. If you drilled it just right, that's what Jim said. You hit it just right, crack it just enough so you're not hitting somebody with a completely, like, you're going to get that awesome sound that's going to get the crowd completely oh my god he just fucking killed
1: him and it, it was a sound that echoed because you heard the crowd you know react to it they would go oh and, and you could still hear the remnants of that, that whack sound um, connecting, and he goes after everybody on the whole team of CZW. Necro immediately goes and grabs a steel chair, and this is the best spot of the entire match. There are no arguments. Don't at me on Twitter. This is the best uh, spot in the entire match. Necro grabs a chair, and he he's running dead sprint at Homicide with it, and something out of, like, Wiley Coyote Homicide just throws the thumbtacks out and Necro runs right through them and sells it like he had just stepped on fire. Uh, It was... And I remember this live thinking that was the coolest thing I'll ever see in terms of timing, the significance of the spot, how much it probably really hurts to step on a thumbtack uh, and, and just the reaction that homicide had gotten, he's the savior for ROH. Um, and it felt like the tide had turned in that one moment
4: for our side of the bleachers. Yep. And then you got, and it was nice too, is you got this mix of homicide that he's got the natural born sinners gear on, mm-hmm. which was just short of the mask. It would have been, that would have been like, It'd my mind if he would have come out with a mask on. He's got the fork, which we really hadn't seen. That's in you know, I feel like the fork it, it, is like a whole, almost like other side of homicide.
1: Like when he has that gear on and that fork, it's like that, that's the ultra violent homicide you're getting from that. Yeah, that's what you saw early on in ROH in 2002 and 2003. Mm-hmm. The the genesis of the homicide character was was based around him using a of fork of all things, something so trivial and small, um, that became his version of triple H's sledgehammer. Yep. Yep. And it, and this is just so much utter
4: chaos. Like I I remember watching this, I'm thinking like, yeah, well there's no sorts of play by play being done on this, I just jotted things down like BJ wrapping Necro up in barbed wire, kind of getting his revenge for what happened at the arena. Um, ace hilariously tries to put a can a trash can on claudio's head the wrong way mm-hmm. <laughs> he keeps putting it down bottom first and he can't quite seem to figure out why it's not going on claudio's
1: head his uh, face as he does that he's so, so yeah. just like oh <laughs> oops <Yeah. laughs> yep. i i loved yep. i loved when homicide was handing out the forks to every one of his teammates and it mm-hmm. was like they were just uniting you know the team the team had finally come together um I know a similar instance uh, of that in the sports world. Um, A couple of years ago, Duke had lost two straight games in basketball. and Coach Coach K had, had forced the team to stop wearing Duke basketball paraphernalia. They could not wear the color blue for two weeks around campus going to games. They could only wear just either white or black. And it was a, it was a, it unified that team. That team went on to win a national championship. It was rigged. In 2010, it was not rigged. Uh, there was no scripting, no booker. It was just effort. Uh, now the bracketology of the whole thing—that's a whole other story. We, we won't get into that um, because they had the easiest bracket of anybody that I've ever seen in the history of college basketball. But the 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 fork was a big instrument in this match because a lot of the times when they would use the floor cam it was somebody taking a fork across somebody's forehead um, and there was one nasty uh, particular one with uh, uh, Eddie Kingston um, where I mean homicide you could see the fork the, the sharp ends of the fork were turned in across his forehead This was not some plastic fork that was pulled off the shelf at at Costco. Um, This was a legitimate fork, a metal fork, and he was grading his forehead with this thing. Yeah, literally Um, every single person in this match except Nate Webb ends up bleeding by the end. Yeah, and that that was an incredible sight to behold. I mean, it was traditional war games, uh, except a lot more ridiculous. Um, when when Ace put the the trash can on Claudio's head and the crowd started chanting Ring of Homicide uh, after you know Ace kicked him in the head, this was definitely the beginning of the Homicide ascension to the top of the card. Not that he wasn't already established as a main eventer, but he was never quite taken seriously as a title. I guess, title contender. He was always a role player. And, I mean, this this thing just breaks down into the whole uh, crazy thing. You have this incredible brawl going on everywhere. Uh, Ace Steel hit a cutter on the Nate Webb. that turned into a leg drop uh, on Kingston as he was being held by Adam Pierce, And then, at, at this point, the CGW fans are starting to panic. And they're starting mm-hmm. to panic to the point where they're chanting six on five.
4: I was watching hands, fans' hands for c- c- the cage on certain shots at the floor, where you can see people mm-hmm. reaching into the cage and grabbing at the dudes. Yeah, I'm like, wow, this like, this
1: is uh, it got it got intense enough to the point where fans cause... were literally trying to get into the match. Um, I mean, we had our
4: guardrails up, but they were still directly against the cage. There there was was the size of the cage there. There was absolutely no breathing room whatsoever. Like, we didn't even have guardrails connected during that show just so – because it was a pain in the ass to disconnect so many of them. So it was just like, we'll zip tie them and – just keep zip tying them every time one of the boys hits the fucking thing and pops them off so it was just like there was no nowhere to go people were just pressed right up against the guardrails right up against the cage and it
1: got it was I remember it being heated it was it was very much a philosophy versus philosophy political philosophy versus political philosophy type argument and as we all know there is no middle ground Um, it just it got crazy I mean these fans on both sides ROH fans responded by chanting you can't count back at Mm -hmm. the CZW fans it just it was everything a wrestling storyline should be because everybody no matter what side you were on was 100% committed and passionate and you had talent really going out of their way to try and get even further up the next level um, I, I thought BJ Whitmer Ace Steele, Adam Pierce, Chris Hero, everybody I mean they, they really just excelled in the roles that they were put in in this match and then you don't even factor in Homicide and Claudio who I thought were the two MVPs of both teams
4: that's one of the Things that I kept my notes to just of like crazy shit that was going on with Claudio and Pierce when they were on the, on the cage itself, climbing up and fighting on the cage. And yeah, it's not like we're talking WWE full size cage here, but it's still, you know, a good little distance off the ground. And this is not exactly the environment you tend to think of Claudio being in. No. Uh, so they're fighting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then, bam, they know that Russian leg sweep through the table. And it's just like, holy shit.
1: Yeah, that, that Russian leg sweep spot was one of those crazy things because I, I didn't remember it, watching it, you know, going into watching it. And I just remember yeah, sitting, did I. sitting there thinking, whoa, that, that was impressive. Um, but it also led to what I thought was a really cool moment in the match where ham, or, uh, Chris Hero is basically on top of the cage. And <laughs> you're kind of wondering, okay, is he just going to ham it up and then come down? Or is he going to moonsault off of it,
4: which... And everyone's just throwing chairs and trash hands at him. They're throwing shit at him as he's trying to balance up there to hit that fucking gorgeous moonsault.
1: Yeah, he really had a gorgeous moonsault. Um, for a guy his size, I mean, Chris Hero's 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and, and two, <sighs> 240 probably. At that at, point. At that point. Um. For him to, to do something like that on a cage that's moving, it's got fans around it.
4: Um, what a great... People great are throwing shit at you while you're doing yeah. it.
1: Yeah, he's got to concentrate on not killing himself. Um, you know, the, the suplex from Homicide on Eddie Kingston through the table that was on the floor, I thought was crazy. Um, I, I love the spot where uh, Chris Hero is shoveling the thumbtacks with a chair... Mm -hmm. and the crowd is chanting sweep it up asshole sweep it up Um, it just it is insane Uh, Julius Smokes plays a great role uh, in it and we've talked about Smokes you know kind of overshadowing the character he manages here but he's rooting on Homicide and you can hear him throughout this whole match where he's just trying to show support for Homicide and I thought he played a great job of that like hype man that obnoxious hype man um, yeah without really being obnoxious um, without being over yeah without being too over the top that he's taking away from what's going on in the ring which I thought happened sometimes you know they're uh, they're on the floor they're on the floor and like Julius Smokes is grabbing the cage like trying to get emotionally invested into the match but mm-hmm. you know putting his soul into the into the ring as everybody's going crazy Uh, I love the 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 spot where uh, a fan yells to Ace Steel rip his mustache as he's beating up Nate Webb and then Ace grabs the mustache and then just has this big ear to ear grin on his face um it, it was it was such a great match all I mean you had so much excitement you, you can't possibly do a play-by-play of this whole thing because there was so much
4: and then God God bless Nate Webb for taking that finish uh, yeah. uh, that barbed wire board that barbed wire board was 100 percent a construction of Jim Jimmy Fetterman he built that thing, and he was so proud of it. He's like, no one's ever going to break this fucking board, and no one ever did.
1: <laughs> it, was, it was an unbelievable setup. I mean, the pile of barbed wire that was on top of it. and mm-hmm. um, You know, when Homicide slid it into the ring, you could kind of see that it wasn't like the standard cheap barbed wire boards that you see somewhere in certain promotions. You know, it looked like it was a quality piece of equipment. Oh, yeah. And I wrote down, I go, that thing looks dangerous um, in my notes. And it, it's just crazy, because you have Whitmer and Necro who are exchanging punches, and then Whitmer puts Necro through a barbed wire table that's at ringside, which foreshadows into the next month, War of the Wire 2, Whitmer, and Necro, and Dayton, which... To this day, may have been the most disgusting match I've ever seen in person. Um, and and you have Homicide uh, getting ready to finish off the match. Uh, they do a really cool tease. They don't go right into the cop killer. Homicide, you know, works around Nate Webb, and Nate Webb gets out of it. Webb moonsaults uh, with the chair and misses Homicide, um, and Homicide then, you know drills him with a chair, grabs him for the cop killer, and and uh, he pins him for the three count. And if, if they'd have done the finish any different, I don't think it would have been as good. I think they maximized the, the chance to really do what they did here.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was a holy shit, just... That this match deserved a holy shit completely a it was nonstop chaos there wasn't
5: there were, there were a couple moments where I felt like it was um you're just kind of killing time mm-hmm. but even during those moments of killing time it wasn't like people were sitting there grabbing you
4: know a chin lock or an arm bar people were still just beating the hell out of each other all around the ring kind of just waiting for that homicide cue that homicide moment um, yeah, and there, there was. But it was just a, it built, and it built, and it built, and it took it away. It built,
1: and then it took it away. It built, and it took it away. It was a fucking roller coaster, uh, a roller coaster ride of a match, and good lord. And you could see like, the the camera did a wide angle after Homicide got the pin, and you could see the ROH bleachers, react, as he gets the pin, and I thought that was really good. Because it showed how emotionally invested the fans had become, not only in the the entire ROH team, but in the Homicide character and what he what three wishes he's going to get now that he's accomplished vanquishing the
4: CGW. Um, uh, before getting jump to that, there are a few things that I really enjoyed on the exits. One, Julius Spanks Claudio. As Claudio's being taken out of the cage <laughs> Hero's still a heel And he's just giving a finger to the fans As he's walking away Like yeah we lost but still fuck you You know I don't care And <clears throat> Allison also reminded me I forgot that Pierce was operating as interim commissioner yes. During all of this And I totally forgot about all that too um, And my sidebar That I brought up earlier about everybody's bleeding. So as we're doing the job of having to carry everybody out, um, you have to carry the new I, was, butcher. I, I was paired paired with, with Necro, and at this point, aside from him working these shows, I had, did not know him yet. I didn't know him as the mild mannered, glasses wearing, Star Trek novel reading, you know, Dylan Summers. I just knew Necro, and so I'm sitting here having to drag him to the back as he's bleeding all over me, screaming at the top of his lungs, and all I can think in my head is, what am I getting right now? (laughs) What am I being exposed to with Necro butchered blood all over me? Uh, It's just like, that's all I can think of the whole time. When I look at this show, that's what I think of. Oh, that was the show that Necro blood all over me, and I was worried I was going to have something. Anything.
1: I, it, it, something that didn't even get diagnosed at that point. Yes. Yes. Considering what he had put his body through. Um, yep. I I love this this whole exit scene. Um, and I, I was gonna go uh into the direction of, you know, give me give me kind of one like uh encapsulation one one little description of what this view meant toward the ROH brand at this point. Because you were in the office, you kind of know that, okay, it was the work rate promotion and the dream match promotion, and yeah, they had some stories, but it was more like, oh, we'll just do these cool matches and sell DVDs with the cool matches. What, what did this I, I think,
4: mean toward, toward the office? I think it hit at a perfect time to not only kind of breathe some life into Ring of Honor, because... It's not that we were on we were not a downturn or anything by means like that, but I think at that point there wasn't much, there wasn't like a larger creative direction. It was just Brian was the champ and going to add heavy matches with people. That wasn't like this larger direction, larger story. So it gave a focus like, yes, Brian's still having these matches, but around him was going all of this, this chaos um, with the CZW stuff. And it lended this unpredictability of, okay, you thinking it's an only a one and done thing with hero and Brian. And then now these dudes are popping up in Cleveland and Dayton and Chicago, Detroit, like every single town. They pretty much, uh, it even bled into after this, um, with the, the shows in England mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, yep. so it wasn't just contained to the one show you initially thought it was going to be. And that it evolved from the Brian and Hero match into the Cage of Death. Um, and that ultimately, Ring of Honor benefited more from this entire thing than CZW did. Um, but that's their fault, I thought. You know, we did we capitalized and itched the hell out of it. And you know made sure everybody got their spotlights and the only thing I think that I can remember CZW doing it for it on their end was that best of the best tournament and having BJ on some shows Uh, I don't remember two Brian showed up for the one show that kind of started the whole ball rolling uh, but I just remember hearing people think, on CZW side of things years later just complaining to me that you know CZW got nothing out of this Ring of Honor got all everything out of this we can get shit I'm like whose fault is that, <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it, that and that to mm-hmm. me kind of showcases like Gabe's ability to take talent that may have been in other places and uh, get the most out of them I mean, if you'd have told me that, okay, all the guys in this match would, would at least come back and, and make an appearance for Ring of Honor down the line at this point, after this match had just ended, i just said, nah, I don't really see it. Chris Hero was awesome, okay? Great wrestler, great personality, which we, we, we'll get into down the line as far as Chris Hero's character goes. Uh, but I really... I'm, I'm a firm believer in Claudio Castagnoli being one of the best all-around performers of anybody, and he's a perfect no fan. No doubt in my mind. At the top of, of anyone's card. You have the Necro Butcher, who so many people miscast as just this deathmatch guy. When Ring of Honor brought him back a year later, a year and a couple of months later, um, he, he said... Uh, a line that I think is perfect because it, it was he was last seen in Cage of Death in this universe. He said if you if you let me out of my cage, I'm gonna pile those bodies to the sky. And he said it directly into the camera, and it was picked up perfectly. And you know, Necro had a very good run in Ring of Honor. Um, yes, he did. You know, I, I harken back to the match with Morishima at the Hammerstein, thinking that okay, they might as well just go put the belt on him now because he's he's never going to be more over than he is immediately at this point. But, um, so you, Nate Webb came back uh, sparingly down the line. I think he made a couple appearances uh, in the Sinclair era when they ran Indianapolis. Um, and then Andy Kingston had a tag team run with Homicide uh, and a singles run against Hero, uh, but didn't do much much other than that so uh, I think a lot of the talent here I don't think anybody that was in this cage of death match didn't belong and I think everybody played their role perfectly and and the sacrifices that they made were uh stuff that, that I don't think some other wrestlers would have been willing to do uh if they had a contract elsewhere for instance um but after after the Cage of Death, it's not a, a total celebration. Um, I remember live thinking that's the perfect ending to a night, and Jim Cornette is, is immediately out to the ring. And we're thinking he's just out there to congratulate his talent and that they would save the Three Wishes storyline for whatever show was coming next. Well, it was not meant to be. Jim Cornette was out. He, uh, he said the garbage wrestlers got their garbage asses kicked. And uh, the st- students, and referees, uh, escorted everybody out. ROH fans sang Vince McMahon's favorite song, the na-na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey-hey-hey-goodbye song, uh, which also happens to be Tracy Smothers' theme song, uh, to say to fans that he's out of there. Uh, Cornette laughs. And, and mentions that the ilk of the CZW wrestlers and fans will never be in an ROH uh, ring again, uh, except for a week later in Dayton. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, and I, I wrote my notes. L O L Cornette telling CZW they'll never be back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so he, at this point, he's you know wishing all of his guys well. And he signals that Homicide should stay in the ring, and that he would prefer Whitmer and Adam Pierce stay as well. Um, the crowd is chanting for Homicide. Uh, he's milking it. He, he's fired up. Jim Cornett thanks J.J. J. Dillon for what he did. I have no, no idea. Just, it's not, it's just, it's, oh, uh, Whitmer didn't stay out there? I thought he, he kind of yeah. said Whitmer stand by me, too. But uh, Pierce was the deputy commissioner at this point, so Pierce is staying out there. Um, but Cornette, the, the thing that really bothered me was Cornet thanking J.J. Dillon. I thought that was very odd.
4: Yeah, thanks for standing there. Yeah, you stood out <laughs> not there the whole he,
1: he thanks Pierce for helping him uh, keep ROH afloat while he was off getting his surgery. He thanks Homicide for stepping up to the plate and the crowd is chanting boring and shut the fuck up at Jim Cornette. Cornette says he's got his three wishes and he wants to know what they are. So at this point the crowd is kind of settled in. The CZW fans have kind of trickled out um, and his first wish is that he wants to fight Steve Carino in an ROH ring one more time. Uh, Cornette grants the wish, very easily, with no attention or anything. And his second wish is that he wants a guaranteed Ring of Honor world title shot. Cornette says, that's not a problem, and he grants that wish. And at this point, the whole time, the fans were, were really interested in... You know, low-key. Everybody, everybody is chanting for low-key. They want one of those wishes to be that low-key gets to be reinstated.
4: And yeah, as soon way. as Jim opens his mouth, they start chanting low-key, low-key, and Homicide's got that look on his
1: face, like, just be patient, be patient. And we get to wish number three, and the crowd is ramping up. And he said, I want low-key back in Ring of Honor. And the look on Cornette's face is that he is completely disgusted and he's angry and he, he kind of pauses before he says something and he just kind of looks around which I thought was nice it was a, a good little touch that kind of adds to, to the layer of this story and he says eh, I got a little problem with that he, he calls him a midget which I thought was, was a bit much considering uh, Homicide and Loki are the same exact size. Um, He says that he he knocked his teeth out and Loki will not be back as long as he's around and he's got nothing to do with Homicide. The crowd's chanting bullshit. Uh, Homicide does a great job explaining the relationship that he and Loki have. And Cornette says that it's not happening Homicide calls him a liar and then the most ridiculous portion of the entire segment happens is Jim asks Homicide if his name is Homicide or is it Homicide Homicide spits in his face Pierce attacks Cornet sprays him with mace J.J. Dillon all of a sudden does something, he locks the cage, and Cornette takes his belt off. His homicide is, is tied to So we've got an absolute beatdown of homicide coming, and there's, there's no way to get, get in the cage and help him. Uh, yeah, you guys, the students, came running out uh, to try and
4: help. Because yeah, the I, uh, I was pretty much the only uh, one of us who really had an established heel character. So, why am I out there doing a babyface thing? Yeah, and, and, and not were, to mention the fact that uh this is July so in September I am now Pierce's manservant yeah in just six less than two months after this yeah oh, I so daddy. I
1: and you've I got me. you know you're the one with the bolt cutters that, that freeze homicide this this was a, a big moment because the fans are totally on homicides you know back here against cornet and against JJ Dillon and against Adam Pierce and you you've taken what what should have been a happy ending and and now there's all these questions coming out of this show and we fade to black you know with homicide free from his handcuffs and you know I
4: I don't know where where it goes
5: from here.
4: watching it back I see it it's like a a bit of a mixed bag because I feel like part of it was setting up, you know, you're trying to set up what's to come. But I feel like the fans just needed that, um, like the, the, the happy ending, you know, for once. Like they needed the happy ending to this
5: uh,
4: at the end of a large feud that basically just saw Ring of Honor being beaten the
1: entire time. And when you have that no happy ending. It kind of sent the fans off on a sour note and it kind of affected the crowd in the return to Philadelphia you know, back in November of that year. I agree completely. So Ring of Honor did a, a, a wonderful job with this whole storyline
5: from the
1: start <laughs> to all the way down to uh, the way this cage match ended i felt like that angle on top was a little bit too much but this was a a fantastic match a fantastic show and um final thoughts uh you know give give a couple of things an honorable mention from this show and we'll wrap this thing up
4: um amazing violent intense main event undercard of mixed portions nothing bad but you know aside from aj and Davey being disappointing um solid enough show i don't know if i'd call it a one match show but it's the most important thing on the entire card by far um, and then just you know questionable uh, questionable booking at the end and with throwing the three wishes stuff at the end of all of this. Yeah, I think that
1: could have been something that sold tickets to a future show with Homicide Agreed. granting wishes, and, and you could have even had the name built in, you know, into the into the title of the show. Um, this this show to me is uh, it, it has so many important meanings to me because I rode out on a, a van with uh, nine of my friends for this show. And we had so much fun just busting each other's balls and playing the name game and, uh, which I won by the way on the way home. Um, in all nine, it took nine hours from Philly back to, to Cleveland for me. And, uh, it was, it was just a wonderful trip with, with lifelong friends, people that I'm still friends with to this day. And uh, I, I think this show, not only did it encapsulate that Ring of Honor could go away from the fancy, you know, high spot wrestling, 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 high spot wrestling, wrestling, wrestling style but it also could go into a storytelling mode. And the stories that that were told here, you know, Chris Hero fighting for his CZW and bringing his CZW army uh, back at ROH, the Brian Danielson, Samoa Joe tease. uh, There are just so many things that built from this show and into the future. And Ring of Honor's biggest times of the year culminate at final battle and if you look at the second wish of of Homicide's three wishes he got his wish at final battle and it made for an incredible incredible moment and an incredible environment
4: Um, to to borrow an idea based on the uh, the WWE calendar year this is kind of like the Royal Rumble Yeah, this this event was um, setting the Setting the stage for what would culminate at WrestleMania.
1: And you had so many incredible things in the meantime. You know, you look forward to Glory by Honor that year. You had Homicide um, you know, on the card. You know, a, a fairly meaningless match, and the fans were insane uh, for him. You, you at the main event of that show, Brian Danielson and Kenta. And people were thinking, okay, maybe it's going to be homicide in Kenta for the title. You know, that could yeah. be a, a really fun strong style match. I don't think anybody realized what Brian worked through the rest of the year. And Brian had a great match on this show with Sanjay. You had Nigel McGuinness and, and, and Roderick Strong build up, you know, their match from, uh, you know, a, an incredible storytelling. Standpoint. This show just encapsulates that there are so many different things that the Ring of Honor style means. It doesn't necessarily mean move, 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 hold, 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 sell, high spot, high spot, high spot. It's, they can cover everything, and the talent on this show alone tells me that there are so many different things Ring of Honor could bring to the table.
4: Yeah, that's the one, 100% agree. The Ring of Honor style is not one thing. It's
1: well, well, For my partner, Shane Hagedorn, uh, for an honorable mention, Death Before Dishonor 4, Cage of Death, I am your host, Jeff Schwartz, and we will see you down the road.